0: Beep,
1: Phil common. Bienvenue. Knichiwa. It's Amish Inquisition time yet again on Sunday, the 9th of August, episode 144. I'm Amish Phil. I'm Amish Ben. And I'm Amish Matt. And tonight's guest is a former parachute instructor, an ultra-distance bicycle rider. Not just mega distance, <laughs> ultra distance. <laughs> uh, and the survivor of a near-death experience. Welcome to the show, Ian. Yeah, uh, cool.
2: Hi guys, you're right. <laughs> thanks, for,
1: thanks for coming. Yeah. You're there, keeps you still nice. here is yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. God. So, how yeah. are you keeping? All right.
2: That like sounds of my childhood. Zedek <laughs> 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 <And>, um, <laughs> Spectrum's loading.
1: Brilliant. Were you a Thunderbirds fan when you were a kid?
2: No, I'm not quite that old. We get I'm 40, but uh, yeah,
1: right. Or more Captain Scarlet.
2: <laughs> yeah, Star Trek and um, and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah.
1: So why don't we start, why don't you start telling us a little bit about your background and then leading into the accident, which is what blew my mind when we first met talking to you. And yeah, yeah,
2: sure, yeah. Um, I don't know, so where, you know, where to start, where, how early? We get, uh, so I, yeah, I, I, um, I joined the army at quite an early age, I think I was 18, um, so I joined the, uh, the Royal Signals um it's something I'd always wanted to do um my I was inspired by my brother actually my brother Stuart he uh, at about seven or eight years old I went to one of his passing out parades you know where you go along and you sort of see him stood around and marching about the place and doing these gym displays and stuff and I was blown away by the whole thing so I thought you know this is this is definitely something that that I want to do and um uh, I think I was kind of uh, motivated a little bit as well. Kind of, we were watching my brother's videos and things and doing all these push-ups and stuff like that. And my, my sister said to me, you've got no chance. You'd never be able to do anything like that. And uh, I think I was kind of – that, that was sort of like a red rag to a bull, you know, I'm like I'll prove you wrong type of thing. That, that, that's, uh, that, that's kind of the kind of thing that's motivated me a lot, I think. But, um, yeah, so I joined the Royal Signals, 18, 18. Um, the, um I spent uh, a couple of years out in Kosovo um I, I, which I thoroughly enjoyed I was like a um was a in communications obviously um it was a bit like a 999 call center so a uh, call would come in from civilians as well as military you know and any kind of accident that you can think of or um and you know I'd get a call perhaps in the middle of the night and um you know it could be anything from somebody who stood on a mine in a field somewhere to um, you know, just run-of-the-mill car accidents and that sort of thing. And I'd have to get the guy out of bed to go and fuel up the helicopter. I'd have to get the pilot out of bed. I'd have to tell him, you know, the, the grid reference of where they're going and give him a briefing and then talk him to the area, you know, um, over the radio and guide them in and then, you know, sort of monitor the whole thing back. So it was quite a, a lot of responsibility at a mm. rather young age, but I absolutely thrived on it, you know, and it was it was exciting and you could – you could see the big picture, you know, from um, start to finish. Whereas a lot of the, a lot of people that might have been in the infantry and, and other things, they don't necessarily get to see it from start to finish. They might see their little bit, but they don't necessarily get to get to, you know, from start to finish to see to see the whole thing. We would see casualties come back in the helicopter, and we'd be based next to the, you know, the med centre, and we'd see them then hobbling out a couple of weeks later, you know. So it'd be a very satisfying thing to do. Um, and overall you know as campaigns go and sort of the wider political spectrum Kosovo was perhaps one of the uh the most successful interventions that that we had you know we had very few um you know soldiers that were that were killed or injured there and uh you know overall what we did I felt quite good about you know Kosovo now if you sometimes get people contacting me on Twitter and things like (laughs) that and just like thanks so much for what you did and you know um, I think you probably saw there was a there was an international football match not, not so long ago with Kosovo, and people were surprised, like, why are they, why are they cheering for, for England? <laughs> you know? And, um, yeah, it, it's what we did was very popular. Um, so popular, I think, that people like Tony Blair and what have you got a bit carried away with themselves afterwards and thought that they could do just about anything. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's another story for another day. But, uh, yeah.
1: So how did you so, get from... From yeah, from being in the sort of the comms bit to parachuting and parachuting instructing.
2: Yeah, so I met a guy while I was out there. Um, he was a physical training instructor, and we would, despite us being in the middle of operations, we would be doing physical training, you know, every day practically, uh, and keeping very fit because we were also not just doing the comms, but where we were, we were based with the RAF, who we were doing the the helicopters, and we were responsible for the security of that little area on Pristina Airfield. We were right next to the Russians and. Things like that. it was all um, you know, uh, it, it was all quite exciting and, and on the front line. So we had to be as fit as we could be. And this guy Wes was really inspiring to me. So that the, you know, they used to come up with these sessions, and he would be the fittest of the fit. So you know, when I got back, I put my name down to go on a, a physical training instructor's course. And um, all in all, I think the first one was about six weeks, and then there's a couple of follow-up courses about about eight weeks. And it's quite a grueling course you know if you ask anybody that's that, that that's done it it's quite physically demanding you you basically squash you know you, you, uh, a lot of physical training probably a, a career's worth into six weeks and then yeah. and um, you know learn learn what sort of tricks to trade and then you go back to your regiment and you're responsible in a lot of cases for for, for keeping your squadron or your regiment fit right so again quite a lot of responsibility i was just a um, a land's Corporal at the time, you know, almost bottom of the ladder, and you stood right out in front of the whole regiment on a Friday for COSPT and sort of, right, guys, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, get on my shoulder, follow me, or, you know, whatever you've got planned. And they do what you say, right up to the level of, you know, of Colonel type of thing. So it's um, uh, that that was how I got into the sort of physical training side of things. And then from that, a lot of physical training instructors are. are Expected to to do adventurous training as well. So, when the when people go away and do rock climbing and kayaking and all that sort of stuff, you're expected to have those qualifications. So, uh, I I at my next posting when I was teaching new brand new recruits, um, I volunteered to get um, to go to go down to a specialist unit and get all those qualifications, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, a lot of people don't understand perhaps why we why we pay soldiers to go. Um, skiing and skydiving and rock climbing and all these sorts of things but it's actually very important because um you know fear is, is is fear no matter whether you're on a battlefield and you're or whether you're hanging off of a you know a big rock face with it or, or whether you're jumping out of a plane fear is fear and if people are exposed to that you can you can you can learn what that's like and learn to control those those fears and sort of by putting people in um, in stretch rather than in sort of panic, then you know they can adapt to that, um, and that that can be very sort of we can find out people who are good easily, and we can challenge people, um, mm-hmm. you know, to uh, you know to do that sort of thing. So it was it was very important, and uh, and again following on from that, then I just specialised at one point in in. In um, you know, in doing the parachuting and skydiving, had about a thousand jumps in total, and uh, it before just before my accident, and then um, you know, and you've know, got some incredible stories and stuff from, from that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah. What was, so, what, I was that.
1: what was the first parachute jump like?
2: The, the very first one that I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was uh, it was an interesting experience. I, I think I'd, be, I'd been out to Canada. Um, on a um, eventually, well, I was out in Canada on an exercise. There have a big thing there called um, the Medman thing. It's basically the whole the whole army, uh, sort of twenty thousand people in some cases deploy out to Canada. Um, they have an area, a training area out there called um, British Army Training Unit Suffield, and it's, it's it's huge. It's like the size of England, you know. And they just rent it to us because they've got you know land, you know, a lot of land. To, so um, you know, we uh, we were out there doing this exercise. And I'd been out there about about two or three months because um, I volunteer I volunteered for everything. I was like you know um, you know is there a, is there a, if there's a party going out there really to prepare then I'm I'll I'll be there you know advanced drinking recce party <laughs> and. Uh, you know, so we, uh, again, about halfway through us like that, there was an opportunity to go um, parachuting. So uh, I put my name down. Yes, definitely up for that. something I've always wanted to do. And, you know, not only uh, am I going to get to do it, but they're going to pay me to do it. You know, this is brilliant. Um, so we went out to this, this place called Bicycle Airport. It's tiny little place where they had a couple of Cessnas. And um, you have a static line. You clip into the inside and um, it sort of, you jump out when it, pulls a parachute for you, you know, so you pretty much just got to, you know, even if you fall out you Just have them.
1: to jump out of the plane
2: Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, Easy, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was great and, um, you know, I loved it so much that I was kind of, even after the little adventure training thing that we were doing had finished I was driving out and it was the distance of sort of, when I'm thought it back through it, the distance from London to Liverpool to, to go and do a bit more and I, I just pushed and pushed and got, got onto free fall and you know, it got, I just it just became my whole life after that. Even in my private time back in the UK and things, I was you know was obsessed with, uh, with skydiving because it, it's the nearest thing to being Superman. You know, there's <laughs> like you know there, there are jumps that I've done where you are literally you're flying forward at the same speed as you are going down, maybe like 120 you know 120 miles an hour. So wow. and you're 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 in a little flock of people, you know, with mates next to you, and you're sort of flying on top of each other or behind each other, and you know, you is through clouds. You know, at sunset, and you know, it's the nearest thing to to being Superman. And um, you know, I just I just love it. Um, and it, it's every single time. You know, people worry about about the risks and things, but the rewards far far outweigh the risks. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I highly recommend it to anybody missing out on life if you don't treat yourself to this sort of thing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you
1: said you'd, you'd done a thousand jumps. I mean, I was wondering, does the the, like the rush you get on the first jump, does that diminish a little bit each time, or is every time is the thousandth jump just as adrenaline pumping as the first one? Yeah. Just, does it become humdrum? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I suppose I suppose the you know the, like you say the the sort of the the adrenaline part of it I suppose disappears and you're concentrating more on sort of the technical aspect of it you know you because when you wherever you're jumping with other people you've got to be so aware of, of the the safety risks you know of coming to contact with others whether you're under parachute or in free fall and so you're always taking those things I'm more worried about that certainly than you are about about you know anything else. And, um, but no, you, you, there's always something else, even at a thousand jumps, there are people out there with 10,000 jumps, 20,000 jumps, believe it or not. You know, um, in some circles I'd, I'd be considered quite inexperienced. Um, but there's always something else to learn, you know, so you like, you can, you know, you get to a couple of, a couple of hundred jumps and you can maybe jump with a, with a camera and do, and do some filming of people and, and you get a bit further on and maybe you can do a wingsuit jump and then you, you know, or a big formation jump with, 50, 100, you know, two hundred people in the sky at the same time, you know, and these all come with their own challenges. So there's always something else to to aim for and to and to build towards, which is one of the things I loved about about the sport. It's um, you know, and, I, and I, even after the accident, I'd been back and done and you know, and done some some jumps after that. You know, maybe twenty, thirty jumps after that. So wow. um, it's uh, yeah, it didn't put me off. Believe it or not. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah.
1: Wow. What are the sort of, <coughs> excuse me, how common are accidents? Even well, like know, my, minor thing, ones. I
2: think I've done about a thousand jumps. Again, when I was teaching other people, we used to tell them that the chances of you having any kind of accident, whether that's just like stubbing your toe on landing or, you know, a twisted ankle, any kind of accident whatsoever was at the time, I think about 950 to one, which is about the same number of jumps that I had when I had my accident. <laughs> So, you know, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, it, these things can and do happen, but when I compare parachuting, for example, to other sports, so it, it's not the most dangerous thing that, that, I, that I do. So, again, I'm an instructor in, in rock climbing, um, kayaking, um, ski, you know, ski, you name it, um, but I'd say, you know, compared to kayaking, for example, mm. um, skydiving is very safe. You've got, even if you hit your head on the way out the door, you know, there is an automatic activation device that will automatically open a parachute for you um, at some point. If you're falling at a certain speed through a certain height, it will kick in. Really? And, 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 yeah. You know, so there's, you know, you don't get that in kayaking. In kayaking, if you're going down a whitewater rapid and you tip upside down, uh, you know, even if your mate sees you, it might be, even if it's only 30 seconds that it takes him to get to you and you've hit your head on a rock. You know, you can drown in that time. So when I compare it, there's no automatic activation device in kayaking, you know. But if I said to you, which one, which one do you fancy coming to do this weekend? You might think, oh, well, you know, well, I kind of fancy a bit of, a bit of a river. might be a bit better, you know, but not necessarily the case, eh?
1: So what is that? Some sort of like GPS thing that detects your altitude or something? And
2: Yeah, so the automatic activation device, again, these things have come a long, a long way as well. And probably even since, you know, even since I've stepped out of the sport, they've probably developed as well. But, but it, it will measure uh, your speed the whole time. You activate it before you get in the plane. And then you go, you know, you go up to altitude, twelve, fifteen thousand feet, whatever it might be, and then I, as you're falling down, it, it knows what height you're going to pull your your, your, your shoot at, and if you're falling at, at you know, through the wrong at the wrong speed through the wrong height, it will kick in, you know, wow. and save your life.
4: Amazing,
2: yeah, and it does work. I've seen it. I've seen it work. You know, I've seen it work when I was uh, working on the drop zone, and yeah, it's it saved lots of people.
1: Is that from people losing consciousness? Having a head injury or something on the way down,
2: yeah. In in numerous situations. So one or two, case, one case like a friend of mine was was doing four way, which is like so a lot of people they um, they make shapes. Uh, so you make like a star shape, say for example, or in a diamond shape, for example, and then you 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 have a little sheet. So you compete in national competitions, see how many shapes you can make in a certain amount of time, right? Um, and you're spinning around, you know, and you go really quick. You can watch these people down at the uh, there's wind tunnels that you can go to if you want to see it, you know this close to your face Uh, and it's very fast moving and very active, you know, people get kicked in the head and, you know, and, and this sort of thing land on top of each other. These, these sorts of things happen and um, which is why they wear wear helmets. It's not really not necessarily you know the helmet ain't going to save you if you <laughs> you're into a, you know a full on contact with the ground. You know that last half inch is really going to hurt. But um, it, it's there for contact and things like that. Perhaps in in the air. So, but occasionally people still do get knocked out. You know, just like in boxing. You get hit in the in the face. Your brain bounces off the side of your skull on the inside and squashes a little bit and knocks you out. So, you know that can happen just as easily in in skydiving as it can in any, any other sport. So, you know in that sort of circumstance, I've known people that uh, that have got knocked out and then it's kicked in and saved their life. Um, like I say, I know people that have hit something on the plane on the way out um, and become unconscious and it's and it's saved their life in in that circumstance. And then also. You know, there, there is, we're also, we're human beings and there was an occasion, once where a very, very experienced team, you know, of people who had maybe 5,000 jumps each and that sort of thing were out doing a, um, a an eight-way, I think, and they were concentrating so hard. These were world champions, you know, they're concentrating so hard on on their dive, getting getting this sort of choreography just right and, you know, nailing the points that they got that every single one of their AADs kicked in um, because they went low. Um, and just just lost track of what they were doing, you know. Um, they were more focused on the on the dive than they were on saving their necks, you know. <laughs> which is uh, which is you know, and if it can happen to them, it can can happen to anybody. So they're they're there for a really good reason. And um, and thank you. Know, it's compulsory in this country. That, that's
1: that's sort of the nature of the competitive element, isn't it? People get so deep into the the competition and wanting to be the best and to prove yourself that. Oh, I forgot to open my parachute. (laughs) Good job we have this Gizmo here, isn't it? Yeah, that's it.
2: Um, I mean, in my in my case with the accident that I had, I mean, um, I was so it was um, I was part of a display team, um, the Royal Signals parachute display team. And every year, again, there's, there's, there, I mean, believe me, there are, there are so many safety precautions in, in, you know, British, British skydiving that um, and British parachuting. There is man, there's a manual list thick full of rules that people have to follow. You know, it's not a, it's not a kind of bang your head together and, and jump out the door kind of thing that you might expect. Um, but uh, I mean, there is an element of, you know, of, of personal, personal risk that you have to accept. But, but still, there is a lot of safety risk. So. For example, on that on that jump that I was doing where I got injured, it was um, uh, it was it was for the Royal Signals parachute display team. We were we have to do so many practice jumps before you go on a real display where you jump into a stadium or you jump into a um, you know um, an area with a crowd. You've probably seen you've heard of the Red Devils and, and that yeah. sort of. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially that, but but we had our own team, you know. And there are several teams like that, the Black Knights and that sort of thing off the top of the head. Knights nice Watch. Uh, but yeah, so I was I was doing a qualifying jump um, for for this really. It was right at the start of the season in January, I think, and um, and I'd already done some jumps that day on a very very small fast parachute, which which was my own personal one, which is like you might you might equate to the you know for sports cars it'd be the 911 type of thing of a you know the very small parachute coming into land, you, you land very fast and skimming your feet across the floor type of thing. Um, so I'd already done one of those jumps this morning in the morning. And this one was in the afternoon. It was meant to be, you know, a very, a very slow, safe, accuracy jump. You know, so I had a really big parachute, the kind of size that we give to students sometimes. You know, and the the idea is that you come in very slowly and very accurately, and you land on a cross and prove that you can hit the spot. You know, I think I don't know, I think it was five or ten times in a row. You know, so I had to get some of these in basically. So. Um, the weather wasn't that great. You couldn't go to a, enormous altitude, so it was the ideal thing to do that afternoon. So I got the got the big parachute out, and um, I was coming in very slowly, very you know, very safely. And the way that it works, you, it's like a they called ram air parachutes. So if this is your if this is your wing, the air comes in the front, and it sort of spreads out uh, the, the the wing of your. Uh, the old parachute and keeps it pressurized type of thing, you know. So the forward momentum of your parachute keeps it really stable, right? But when you're going slow, you see, then the there isn't as much air being rammed in the front, so it is it is going to be less pressurized, right? So it just happened that, that as I was coming to land, there was some turbulence that day. The weather, like I say, the weather weather wasn't perfect, so rolling off of it was quite close to a building, so that might have been a contributing factor. And essentially, my parachute collapsed at 100 feet and i fell 100 feet if you like without without a parachute um which you know in skydiving terms is seconds from landing it's it's literally flay parachute time and put your feet down but in you know for you and you know it's you know it's twice the height of the the building that i'm in now and it's a it's a hundred feet high you know um most people wouldn't survive that and I was um, I was quite lucky that I was on a military drop zone with some very experienced people around. You know, some medics, and there was a helicopter there within fifteen minutes to take me to hospital. Otherwise, mm. I would be dead. Both my both my femurs went straight through my hips, shattered. Oh, I left it. You know, it worst nightmare. You know, in terms oh. of, of injuries that you can get, um, and uh, and I was I'm very lucky to be here. Um, it was to say it was a life changing experience, you know, just doesn't cut it really. It, it was, you know, um, I mean, people say that, you know, believe it or not, it didn't hurt. You know, you know, you, you guys are all wincing. You're like, Jesus, you know, I can't imagine my, <laughs> my femurs going through my hips. Uh, it, you know, what, what that must feel like. But, but, you know, at the time, I honestly, it just felt a little bit like, like I was kind of drunk. Um, uh, people say that I didn't pass out. Um, they, so if I, if I wasn't conscious, it was for seconds. But I have this I have this vivid memory of replaying my life over uh, in slow time. You know, like like my brain must have done this really weird thing, like a time distortion type of thing where, um, you know, I think we were talking about it when you, when you visited. It's, uh, it's the uh, last review, yeah. Yeah. Having done the research now, I think that I had a DMT release. Uh, in my brain where, you know, I think when you, when you, when your body thinks, you know what, you're going to die. Um, it, 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 just thinks, you know, there's no point telling you that you, you're hurt by slamming you with loads of pain. You know that, um, here's, here's a little bit of DMT and, um, you know, you, Good night. You know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, So <laughs> uh, that's the only explanation I can come up with really for this sort of mind bending. It almost, almost felt like, you know, honestly, that like I've been playing like it was 10 years later or something when I came round, it was it was crazy how the things that it had done to my, my brain at the time. But then I, I sort of quickly realised where I was and that I was on my way to hospital. And like I say, I had a mask on and things, and I think that was just oxygen. I don't even think they'd given me any morphine at the time. So, you know... You know, it's kind of reassuring to know that if something horrific happens to you like that, guys, you probably, you know, you'd probably be all right.
1: Going to be out uh, of it. The body's yeah. the body's it's worked out a right. way of um, short-circuiting this and
2: yeah. getting you through it. Yeah, yeah. I think What's so. just
1: um, sorry? I was just going to ask if it was any
5: higher. So if mm-hmm. the, the parachute collapsed any higher, would you have been able to do anything about it?
2: Yeah, this sort of thing we teach in—we actually on purpose get students to do this, uh, or at least we did when I was teaching. So at one point, you do these things with canopy drills where you get them coming in, you know, and while you're under canopy, they have a certain amount of things that they have to do before they can progress to the next level. So, and one of those is to stall your parachute. So you pull down on both on both cords, you wait for it to fold, like it did with me, but too close to the ground, and then you let it recover. And right. you, know, you experience a big drop, you know, but I mean, you're not going to hear anything. There's nothing around you. There's the ground's miles away, you know, So it doesn't matter. Um, and then, you know, and if it doesn't open, you just pull out your other one, your reserve, right. you know, okay. so, um, it's, it's no big deal normally, but mm-hmm. yeah, like you say this, so if it was a lot higher up, it would have recovered. But you know, in this case it was a hundred feet. It's the yeah. worst moment that it could have happened. You know, mm-hmm. it was just unlucky. Um, yeah. What, and it was doing a very specialist thing, so it wasn't, you know, like anybody's watching this and thinking, God, I'm glad I didn't book that parachute jump. Wrong answer, you know. If mm-hmm. you if you want to be, if you want to enjoy your life and experience something completely, you know, you, you, you have to live your life, um, you know, and... You're missing out if you haven't done a, at least a tandem or whatever. But you know, I, I would the, the, the you know the self sort of you know, I like to do things on my own and be self-sufficient. You know, so I would recommend if anybody wants to go and do a parachute jump, go and do a you know a static line course or a AFF course and accelerate free fall course and do it under your own steam because it's, it's not the same being strapped to somebody else and having them in control of it all. You, you know, go on a roller coaster if you want to do that. But, you know, there is, there is something really satisfying about, about you know, being in control and doing it yourself. Um, yeah. You know, yeah.
1: You know, the moment that, it, that the parachute folded, yeah. did you have time to think about anything or to try and do anything? How, what's the, yeah. like the distance? How long does it take to reach the ground?
2: yes it was it was fraction of a second possibly so fraction of a second i did have time to i did have time to put my feet and knees together you know i mean that that is what you're taught to do right so i'm already kind of i'm already kind of in that position anyway because that's kind of how i like like to land um but but yeah you i had time and again this is something you're taught in training feet and knees together and you know even if you were to jump you know or Fall off a building or whatever. This is still the best way. You feet and knees together, slightly lean to the left. Your knees are bent and you roll out of it. But you know the speed I was coming in and the height that I was falling from. You know it was only gonna. You know it was only gonna end badly. But you know potentially that that again might have might have saved me. You know from from you know an absolute you know instant death impact. I, I don't know. It's tough to say without again. I, I can only see it from my perspective as well. And there were people watching the you know that at the time but they you know they were sort of they their accounts were a little bit iffy about, about and didn't really add up to what you know so yeah
1: what do you mean by that
2: well so you know people so for example like, like i say there were other people on the drop zone and and like i i like i say with the with them going unconscious you know and i where i had that experience and they said they didn't go unconscious and what have you so i don't know maybe you know it's uh right it, it's tough when you're when you're involved in it isn't it yeah you know? yeah um
1: you, you know, when you were doing your your training, or even when you're an instructor, was there ever any advice or training for if it did go catastrophically wrong at a higher altitude?
2: Yeah, I mean, so you, yeah, you get, um, you get, you get, you know, full training. I mean, you'd be so even just for a static line jump where it pulls it out you know, more or less for you, You, it's still a day's ground school. You know, when I say a day, I mean a a full day with a very short dinner break and and all this sort of stuff. And then usually you will jump the next day, Um, you know, different in different countries. It's slightly different. You know, they, they might do it a bit quicker or a bit slower, but in general, you're going to get, you know, a a hell of a lot of information thrown at you over that first day. And then usually you'll jump the next day. So you you Mm. talk about every single scenario that can possibly go wrong. Um, with pictures, videos, and not just not just um theoretical but practical demonstrations. You use you know, your x rays you, um, as well. You spend hours doing that PLF that I was that I was telling you about where you're jumping off a platform, putting your feet and yeah. knees together, you'll you know you you are very well prepared, especially in this country, or more so than you than you perhaps even need to be. Um they go very into a lot of detail. Yeah. I was just
1: thinking there's a there's a common urban myth with you know when you go on an aeroplane and the, the stewardess Tells you if you get into difficulty, you've got to put your your head between your knees
6: and yeah. cover your head
1: or something. And there was there was always an urban yeah. legend that that was to break your neck if you ever crashed. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was
2: See, I was would th- say so you could just kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> 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 so, so it's funny because, like, it, until recently, there was a, when I used to go on expeditions with my my parachuting gear. I'd always make sure I carried my parachute, or you know, on commercial airlines. I used to make sure I always put it in the overhead lock. Really? Oh, yeah. I just, I mean, <laughs> if you've never been, I mean, like I say, I've I've taken off in a, an airplane. I've done nine hundred, you know, a thousand jumps, so I've at least taken off in an airplane a thousand times. But I've not landed in that airplane a thousand times. A couple of times, you know, you'll sort of land with the plane only if you, you know, really have to because the weather's that bad that you can't get out, you know. And under those circumstances, that's whipping scary. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want to land with a plane. I'd much rather land under my own steam. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you must have been on a Ryanair flight, right? <laughs> some, of those, some of those landings, is, you know, it's coming in, it's bouncing from wheel to wheel, you know. I just think, you know, if there's a real catastrophic air collision, I'll be, I want to be the guy that that's in the newspapers the next day having survived because I have, a, I have the common sense to carry my shoot with me, you know. <laughs> um, I just think, yeah, brilliant. Another bit, bit of free, bit of free fall for uh, for free.
1: Yeah, sayonara, suckers. I'm gone.
2: <laughs> yeah, but they don't let you do it anymore. Or at least, the, you know, the last time I checked, they don't. And it's, I thought oh, that's a bit, you know, because like, they used to kind of, you know, they're, they're always all about the terrorism threat and all this sort of stuff. And like, why would you want to have your parachute? Are you plan on getting out, you know. So, um, <laughs> But you know, there's nothing in there. The the other thing is they think that there's like a little explosive or something that will push your parachute out. It's not. It's on a spring, so you know. And the rest of it is just, you know, is is material. So there's not even there's hardly any metal, you know, in the thing. It's really kind of.
1: It doesn't sound very high tech. These parachutes. It's a spring.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Basically, it's just like you know, there's (laughs) these guys that that are really good at it. They put these things together.
3: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Uh I think I want I'm interested in the, the time dilation that you mentioned. This sounds crazy. Just describe that a bit more for us if you could.
2: Yeah, so like I say it just kind of um I have this you know like people say your life flashes before your eyes type of thing. So you know, that, and that, that was a, that's a common theme when you look at people who've had near-death experiences. And, and, uh, so it, and it, it was a lot like that. I remember going through, not, you know, not just not just the positive, um, you know, experiences in my life, negative experiences as well. And it just seemed really slow. I mean, it's really hard to describe, but, but literally like 10 years had passed or whatever before I, I woke up again. It, was it kind felt of,
1: like it was 10 years long.
2: Yeah, I'm not kidding. This is it, it, really difficult to, to describe. Um yeah, but like I said, people that were around me and observing it said it if if I was unconscious it was only seconds. So but I, you know, I know that I know that's kind of that can be true when you're messing about humans have a very a very strange way of perceiving time and it's not necessarily the, the you know, the it not necessarily is linear in the way that we think about it. Time's a so, man
1: made construction.
2: Yeah, tough to know what happens. I mean, I look at the world today <laughs> and all you know, the crazy shit that's happening, and I think I think I sometimes think, Am I have I actually passed through into some kind of different dimension? <laughs> you know, because uh, everything seemed to be when I was growing up seemed to be a lot more sensible than it is now. But yeah, I don't know. That that's a distinct possibility, I think. And did it uh, Did it
1: stay did it start at your current time and then run backwards? Back
2: No, through no, it started How did it work? So yeah, people say that kind of but no, it was the other way around. It started like from very young, and then and then and then progressing uh, and seem to progress back to the to that moment where the accident. Did you
7: remember hard. things? Sorry, did you did you yeah. remember things that you'd forgotten previously? Because I, I can't remember like last week after time.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So if it was kind of it, it like you say, I mean the you know the possibility is that it was it was sort of reprocessing like your long term memory type of thing. But yeah, there were things in there that yeah, there were things in those in those dreams, if you like that that I'd completely forgotten, people that I'd forgotten, you know, that that I'd come across that I'd forgotten and, and, and just nothing, especially, you know, uh, about the situations that it was replaying either, just ordinary, ordinary kind of scenes and moments that, that were seemingly insignificant at the time and people that, that, you know, I never expected to see again, but they were there in this, in this, you know, in this slow replay. And it was very, you know, very detailed and very, very full on. Like I say, it seemed to last, an incredibly long time but but obviously didn't in in the real world yeah did yeah, you strange experience
1: did you feel that that it was totally accurate as well
2: like mm-hmm. it, it, it oh, wasn't
1: yeah. sort of yeah, a construction but, of memories that it it was things that had definitely happened to you specifically
2: yeah yeah it was it was as though like somebody had, had video recorded you know some of the most boring moments of, of my life. You know, and then and then started replaying it. You know, the kind of thing that you, you know you just you wouldn't sit through if it was on your computer. You just press delete. Wow. Um, yeah, it was very odd. Very odd indeed. Because it
1: it, it kind of suggests that your memory is taking in everything, absolutely everything you do, but mm. your conscious brain doesn't just just can't quite access it.
2: Yeah, like you say, if if. Some of these these moments you wouldn't choose to be processed to memory, but they must be there, like you say. So, um, yeah, it, yeah, it, it it must be. I mean, the brain's a very an incredible an incredible thing. The more you learn about it, the more you think, yeah, this is this is this is very odd how, how it can yeah. do all these things, but it obviously does. Yeah,
1: it's wild. And then did that make you start looking into DMT? How did you hear about DMT and the pineal gland and all that caper?
2: Yeah, well, so you, because well, when you 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 know the, the love of the internet, you can google anything, can't you? So and that, and that sort of thing pops up where people in, in South America and, and places like that, they, you know, they routinely use this use this drug to sort of to connect with other people in the same way that we do with alcohol, I suppose. And and, and the description that they that they have of it and the and the, the things that it that it, that it does. Um, there's some some great documentaries about it, you know, and it's not necessarily one of the one of these, you know, one of these, you know, like cocaine or whatever. Some of these drugs that, you know, they, they use this sparingly, but I think, you know, to sort of enhance people's experiences, and for those people that do experience it, uh, particularly people who have, who have trouble with depression and and things like that. Because it connect, it, clearly what it does is connect parts of the brain, um, like in my experience that that weren't necessarily connected before, and gives people a new perspective on life. So the reports that I've had from people that, that have been, you know, like say suffering from clinical depression and that sort of thing, that have been put onto drugs like that, um, have you know have been positive because they've they've come out of it the same way that I did. Really, you, you know, you you have an experience like that and it, it changes your view of life and your and and the way you look at things. And and what you value, so Mm. I can see why you know I can see why they stopped research um, into things like LSD and mind altering drugs and what have you because you know the perception of the public of drug abuse and that sort of thing. But then I think they're just starting to realise now that that there are some clinical advantages for some people, you know. And and you know we shouldn't just dismiss it just because it's not you know it's not uh, you know it's not. publicly accepted at the time so you know that the science should override that,
1: that yeah. of view. Mm. there's a lot of research going on with um psilocybin mdma uh, and dmt for for things like depression addiction ptsd um i mean it's like ayahuasca is not is not your party jug of choice i mean it's it's meant to be like a 12-hour ordeal isn't it
5: Mm. i was just wondering as well you know if it for depression and stuff like that if it's that gives you that time distortion mm. might give you a little bit more time to figure stuff out essentially and like we said if it connects different parts of your brain and stuff maybe that's what it's doing
1: you know yes. so they, they reckon the dmt comes from the pineal gland don't they in the brain
2: I'm not an expert on no. DMT. Actually, you want to, you, you want to get my, my son on here. He's, he's, he's an absolute expert on this sort of thing. he uh, has been over the moon with giving you all the intricate details of all. But I guess we'll, you know, we'll
1: have him, him next, next week.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I have never taken any recreational drugs in my life. I was completely opposed to that sort of thing when I was when I was growing up, and certainly in the army, you were you were drugs tested oh, yeah. every other week at random. So, you know, um, it just didn't doesn't, and it still doesn't fit with my mentality now. I wouldn't, you know, I take drugs if I'm in pain, you know, like everybody else, I take a painkiller and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, if I had to pick a, a drug to try. I suppose the things that would interest, you know, that would interest me just to see, see what he did. You know, if I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to die anyway. Yeah. Okay. Give us a, give us a, give us a bit of DMT to try. Let's, let's see how it goes. You know, Um, what, what, what could it possibly, could do any worse, could it, you know, so you're going to die anyway.
5: Um, The other thing I wanted to ask then was like, what happened the other side of the accident then sort of like your recovery and Things yeah. like that. I mean, how long were you in hospital? What was like the, the the physio and learning to walk again? I guess and all of that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I said that the action itself didn't hurt. You know, the, uh, mm. the recovery that that was very painful. Um, yeah. So I, I was so I was flown to the hospital. Um, I, had, I had the operation the same day. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a guy in, um, in in Cardiff University Hospital that did the operation there that that um in the end that you know that i owe a lot to i don't know i don't know how he did it i mean there's a a video on my youtube channel that shows a bit of the um link link
1: uh, in the description eavesdroppers (laughs)
2: yeah and it it, is a it it shows a sort of picture of the of the accident it just looks like a bicycle chain around where where my hip is you know the thing was completely destroyed how he put it back together i don't know um but i was i was a solid month in in hospital um I couldn't roll side to side without being in complete agony, mm. um, and not not only that, but it, it was actually humiliating because, you know, mm. going from I, w- I was a sergeant in the uh, you know, and kind of uh, you know, uh, the last thing I want to do is have some young pretty nurse wiping my ass. You know, oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, well yeah um but you know i didn't have any choice i mean i actually i actually ate you know uh, sort of the minimum that i thought i could absorb oh. oh, God. That, but, but you know if you're in the hospital yeah. for a month there, there is no avoiding mm. that you know you've got to you and actually because you sat still your periostatic stuff doesn't work properly so you've got to take laxatives and oh, then no. and then so you know it's coming you know and whoever's on shift <laughs> that day you know, you're like, well, yeah, sorry, right, but this is going to come in a couple of hours, and, and you know, somebody's going to have to clean that up. And you, know, you have, a, you, have a, you can have a, a, you have a bag on for, you know, for for, doing the, for getting rid of the urine and stuff. But, but you know, the job that I mean, hats off to nurses. Seriously, you know, these people. And the stuff yep. that they go through, um, and I, you know, mm. I was very grateful for that. But like I say, they, and they don't keep you these days in hospital for a month. You know, I mean, even for very serious operations, you are in and out. Yeah, the fact that I was there that long, and it just shows how bad it was. And um, so, even after I left the, the hospital, um, I was three months in a wheelchair. Um, so again, and I, you know, um, at times, you know, I was, I, I thought, you know, this is no matter what they say. I'm probably not going to be walking again, am I? You know, I know what what's happened. They can be as optimistic and say what they want, but am I really going to be doing everything that I was doing before or, or even walking properly? And so, you know, I, I, I took a, a view of it that it was an opportunity to do something different. So rather than using my body and throwing my body at everything, it was an opportunity to use my brain for some things. So even while I was in hospital for that month, I got on with my, I'd started an open university thing already. So uh, I was submitting essays um, and I got some of the, believe it or not, on the Morphe, I got some of the best, <laughs> I got some of the best marks I've ever had, um, you know, it, in the 90s and stuff. So, uh, it, you know, it, 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 yeah, I had a lot of time on my hands and we were talking, yeah. think, well, the actual the thing, course I was doing was health and social care at the time. So it was a cultural and social care module, so it was appropriate. You know, I can kind of I've got I've got the perfect uh, observation tool here to, to put in my essays. Um, so I, you know, and I just took that approach with it. I I got on with some university courses that did eventually lead to me getting a proper degree later on as well. Um, and even when I was in a wheelchair, I threw myself at, at getting fit. So I was in the pool every day, um, literally hauling you know, they had these special machines that they had to, to get out so you can like lower yourself into the pool and what have you and it was agony. But I knew from the research I'd done on the internet that if you didn't do that, if you didn't force movement down there and all the rest of it, your nerves potentially wouldn't regrow, you know. And mm. to start with I had no feeling in my left quad at all. Couldn't feel a single thing. You know, you could literally stab it with a knife and it wouldn't wouldn't feel it. And and but the the feeling did gradually Come back very, very slowly. The nerve did regrow, you know, and I like to think that it was because I because I did things like that and I put in the effort that, yeah. that it, it worked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, after the three months of of putting myself through that, I uh, I did start walking again, and and you know, and eventually, I, you know, I even started doing short runs um, and things, and I, I got back fit enough. Um, just to pass even some of the army tests right you know and these are not easy tests um Mm. because i was a you know i had a a lot of pride because i was a physical training instructor and you know the people that my colleagues at work there they're always asking are you coming back to work and you know what's that going to be like and you know are you you sure you don't just want to take your retirement money and go basically and you know i'm like no this is my life you know i've I've dedicated myself to this and this is what i want to do um and i got back fit enough to stay um so uh, it just later on in my career, a bit later on down the line, they were, uh, this is years and years later, you know, like I say, i got back fit enough to pass some tests, but, but not, not quite fit enough to be back where I was, you know, at the elite level type of thing. And um, they were offering everybody, at the time, they were, the, the army was too big, and they were offering everybody uh, who had any kind of injury whatsoever to take their pensions and disappear. Um, you know, and I, when I did the maths, I would have been a complete fool not to, not to take not to take that and go and do something else and mm. you know I went I went decided to go to uni and spend a few years there studying politics in, instead. Mm. Um, you know. Cool. And now they're begging for people to rejoin the army, by the way. <laughs> it, <laughs> really? Oh uh, yeah. They were even they were even sending out emails that they would take people back that have been dis- <laughs> discharged and all sorts of stuff. Oh, wow, Literally. What, really? now, the army's now n- not even an army, it's classed as a militia. Uh, it, it, um, you know they would literally take anybody back i think
1: oh, i've, I've but, got i've got uh, dishonorable discharge written all over me I
2: think. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. uh,
1: going going back to the recovery stage you know when you you get out of hospital and you're in a wheelchair mm. you know previously you've been like fucking action man jumping out of planes canoeing rock climbing kayaking that must have been really hard mentally psychologically to to get through that.
2: Yeah. Like I say, you can, you know, you can look at, I always like to think, you know, you, that, that no matter what I do in life, I want, I want to, I want to try my best and do the best at it. So, you know, even if I had been a soldier, you know, if I have been cleaning toilets somewhere for a living or whatever, yeah, that, all right. So I'm a toilet cleaner, but they're going to be award winning, toilets you know you're gonna they're gonna have a little sign on the board that says that this is you know this wood in 2009 2010 <laughs> you know you can you can make a life whatever you whatever you want it's there to be lived and you know i see so many people who go through their life they, they're getting up early and they're going to work doing the same job 25 years in a row and they've only been at scared nest for their holidays you know i worked with people like this in the past and i think you know, if there is a gate to heaven when you get there they're, they're gonna they what are you gonna say they're going to say you've completely wasted your life, you know. And nobody's going to say that to me. I'm, I'm going to have been there, done it, you know, and taken every opportunity that, that there is, um, you know. And why, why would you want to do anything else? It's, it seems like a waste.
1: Do you think maybe part of the, the military training and, and the mentality of being in the army um, helped you through that that mental, you know, because you... you it's it's not you know. this we're civvies. We don't know what it's like to to go into the <laughs> army and and you know. I mean, it's serious. It's life and death stuff every day, isn't it? You know. And I was wondering if some of that training, that and that sort of mentality building in your army training, maybe is what what got you through it. You know, if it was me who fell hundred feet, maybe I would have given up.
2: <laughs> Do you not know think? Yeah. Yeah, inevitably, you know the the um, you know you, you taught um, you know, and I did it with other soldiers. Like I was telling you about about with the adventurous training, we would we would put people um, in stretch in in certain situations. So so for example, you know like a couple of times I would take people rock climbing and we would have them abseiling off the end of a cliff, right? So the really confident people. You know, but they're not confident people. So they're not confident people are absolutely shaking. You know, they're going down the, the abseil and they, they got to the edge and they're like, oh God, you know, please don't let, you know, that person is already in stretch. right? I don't, I don't need to put them in stretch. The fact that they've made it over the end, kudos, you know, you are, you know, great. You know, you've done what I told you to do in a very st- st- stressful situation, right? And Then you get the really cocky, arrogant ones who would turn up and they'd be like, "Oh, I've done some times. I'm out of nails," you know. And then they get to the end, and they're like, "Yeah, nothing can happen to me." And I'd be like, "Okay, put your hands on your head." And I'd say, put the hands on the head, and then and then you're like, oh, "Stay still." The knot's coming undone. Don't move. And they like, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I've done my job. You know, the civilians of this world, you know, and the civilian instructors would frown upon that big time, you know. But. Mm. But I've done my job. My job was to put them in stretch, you right. know. And there are a hundred ways that we would do that in the army. And that's whether that's sending people over assault courses or making them crawl through mud, whatever it might be. We need people to be mentally robust, and we teach them coping mechanisms to do that. You know, they often say when people go through basic training that they that we break people down and then we build them back up again. You know, and and better. Um, and and that is that is exactly what you do. You come out of basic training, and people think it's a lot of people shouting at you and screaming at you and you know like external discipline it's not the truth the truth is that it's all about self-discipline so by the time you leave basic training you 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 we teach people you know that to look after their own kit they, they do their own room inspection if you like because they're you know they're, they're just you know that they they're, they're, they're built that way now mm. so uh, and people often see we see mum when I was training new recruits we would see mums and dads turn up um, after only 12 weeks sometimes of, of you know we took their little boy who couldn't even tie his own shoelaces and now he's marching around you know and we're trusting him with a with a rifle you know there's a, <laughs> there's um you know and the, the change in people is is incredible in just a short period of time and it's been it's something that's been developed you know since since the army was first existed you know it's something right. that's a tradition that's been carried on and techniques that we use so yeah inevitably inevitably um it, it helped a lot um i owe i owe I, 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 I the army and royal signals a lot of a lot really um yeah it's quite what happened
1: yeah There's um i wanted to ask you ian um did you see felix baumgartner uh-huh. what did you make of that
2: jealous <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, i was like at the time because i know people have done like higher now um you
5: really know, yeah
2: he's managed to find he's just a skydiver like me and he's managed to find some billionaire or a company or whatever to send him up to the edge of space and pay for it all so that he can do that the, his dream free fall <laughs> uh, from the edge of space so i'm like Oh my God! You know, yeah, I would swap in a heartbeat uh, if you know, give us a lift to the edge of space. I'm, I'm well up to it. That'd be, you know, incredible. And he's he's down, gone down in history. I mean, you you know you you knew his name
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: you know, yeah, it's, uh, yeah uh, definitely. If something like that comes along in future, you know, put me down. I'm up for it.
1: So, I, I remember seeing the video and I knew the outcome. It was like the day after, and I'm still yeah. watching it, thinking. <laughs> Oh for fuck's sake! <laughs> I mean, you can see the bloody stars for goodness' sake. It was mental,
2: yeah. and I was just thinking, jammy back. <laughs> yeah.
1: What's what's the highest you jumped from, Ian?
2: Yeah, good question. So I did um I regularly. There's a drop on Hibblestoke in um, on East Yorkshire on the on the coast there that you regularly go to fifteen thousand feet. Um, which is which is quite high in, in skydiving terms they have an aircraft that can do that and can climb to that, that height quite high. Um, but then, so I think it was the same aircraft but in Spain so they'd rigged it up specially so that we had um, so that we had air, oxygen and um, uh, like little tubes that you put up, that you can put up your nose and then it allows you to, to you quickly climb past 12,000 feet and get as high as you can. I think it's about 30,000 feet. I'd have to check my my book but it wouldn't have been, if it wasn't that it wouldn't have been far off.
1: Thirty
2: thousand or thirteen. High enough to get a hypoxia, you know, and I felt it. um Normally, you would, you know, like I say when you're making shapes. We, I think I did a, a two or a three way, and normally, you know, from sort of fifteen thousand feet, you can make quite a lot of shapes in that time. But I remember when we jumped from twice the height, we didn't actually get that many more because we we must have just been our brains must have just slowed down a bit. Right. They, we weren't used to the height, but um, so
5: that's thirty thousand feet. Did you say?
2: Thirty thousand
5: feet. Yeah, thirty. Yeah. So isn't that like almost what a, an airliner flies at? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, cruising. It's, yeah, it, it's a silly height to be. You won't want to be there for a long time. Like I say, you, no. you, you <laughs> your territory definitely. You know, you yeah. The, the less time there, the better. You, you know, you, your body shutting down at that height. But uh, like mm. I say we had a couple of oxygen things up the thing, but then we just jump. just take them off just before we jump. <laughs> so no oxygen, thirty thousand feet.
5: Yeah. Yeah. What? And it, the the parachute pulls itself anyway, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't
2: worry. But, you know, I mean, we sometimes we deliberately do these jumps, like where we, where you would where you would get out straight away at that uh, at sort of twelve thousand feet and pull it and pull it straight away. It's like a call a high hop and pop. Um, I shouldn't really think <laughs> of this, right? but like a couple of times you do this at sunset, right? And the idea is you get out at sunset, you pull a little beer out from from inside your jumpsuit. And you <laughs> Are going along, sat in the canopy at that height, and just drinking beer, and, and going along, and what do you call it? And you, oh, it wow. you get back on the ground so the instructors don't see it. Wow! But, uh, <laughs> best thing ever, you know. The sun sets as you're coming down because on the ground it's already set, you know. But you're at twelve thousand. Mm, ah, right, there.
1: yeah.
2: You jump, you watch it, the sunset drop, and it's it's yeah. it's amazing. One of the best things you can ever do.
1: Oh, I've just thought, eavesdroppers, we need to settle this once and for all. Ian, no. uh, yeah. is <laughs> the is the world flat?
2: <laughs> well flat. <laughs>
7: yeah. Oh dear
2: me, that is that is so funny, isn't it? I mean um... Yeah, I've, you know... Oh, he's not yeah. answering, he's not answering. <laughs> That's controversial. I know your programme is probably full of flat earths. <laughs> so, no, I re- no it, it, it's definitely a curve to the earth that I've, I've really and, um, You know, it's, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a ball.
1: <laughs> I mean, can yeah. you, if, if you're up there, presumably there's no obstructions, is there? So can you can you actually see the curve while you're up there?
2: yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Um, it's yeah. very clear. It, it, like I say, from very, from you know, on clear days especially, you know, you, you can, you you can see. You know, it, it's an incredible amount of distance that you can yeah. see. It. Definitely see the curve. And, right. um, you know. Right, then.
1: So you, next question: Have you have you been through any chemtrails?
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a joke. That's a I've joke. jumped through plenty of cloud. That's for sure. Some yeah. inevitably can trail. So uh, <laughs> you uh, know, you uh, know, you uh, know. When sometimes I mean, one of the best jumps you can do is where you jump like you've gone under canopy, right? And in Florida, especially, they have this effect where you have these huge towers of cloud, right? So mm-hmm. you can you can do a high hop and pop, right? And then you just you're just flying around this cloud, coming so you literally you can you can touch it. And then it has holes going through it. So you can like fly through the cloud, but not be in cloud. Mm. So it's like you're going through this cavern. You know, it's the thing from sort of, you know, you see on um, Star, Star Trek Voyager and stuff where they're flying through these these wormholes. Yeah, wormholes. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Just wow. no, who gets to experience that? That's what I mean. Mm. You, know, you live your life and you get these experiences and you take risks, and and these are the rewards you get. Um, mm. I don't want to live my life any other way. Yeah.
1: You know, on your on your sort of more standard jumps, say, it, would mm. a, would a beginner jump be around fifteen thousand feet? Uh,
2: no, so I think even on the AFF, so the accelerated free fall, because you could do there's, there's different versions that you can do. So right. um, on accelerated free fall, you would start off with two instructors, one on either side of you, and even on those, I think the on this, the it's twelve thousand feet that they get out to start with. It's still quite high. You know, you you're you're you know, you're even if, if nobody else was there, you're you're Three or four minutes away from the floor, you know. It's, uh, and so, it's. Like, I used to have a guy who's on my who's on my skydiving team. He was afraid of heights. I, <laughs> I, I swear, he, he wouldn't come rock climbing with me. Right, this guy. He was afraid of heights, but he went skydiving because when you when you get out at that height, the ground is so far away, it's not even real. You know, wow. it's it's just you can't see you can't see people you can't even see buildings. You know, it's it's just <laughs> not real, really. You know, and if anything, it's not like kind of falling. It's like being held up by a big fan. So, like I said, I think I mentioned about the um, the wind tunnels that we train in on the ground, and that is what it is—a big fan that's keeping you up. Mm. And um, and it's the same feeling, really, in in free fall. There's no there's, you know, like in an elevator, you get this kind of. Stomach drop away type feeling. You don't get that in in skydiving.
1: It's um, like being on a cushion.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. i a big cushion of air, really. And, yeah.
1: How uh, on on like a beginner jump a twelve thousand jump? How how long do you actually have in the air before you you shoot opens? And...
2: Yeah, so it's about sixty. I think the first one on the AFF be about sixty second delay. So, but you know, it's a long time. If I if I was to sit here now and count one one thousand, two one thousand, to sixty. I'm pretty sure every viewer would have switched off by the by the end of that, right? <laughs> so, yeah. it's, uh, it's a long time. And it, and, um, but it, it seems, obviously, it seems, when you're having so much fun, you know, you you won't see a, a skydiving video of somebody's first jump without a massive grin across their face, you know, and, and uh, very surprised.
1: Yeah, that's because they uh, made it out alive, probably.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think there's so much wind hitting their face. It's just kind of...
1: <laughs> oh, it would... Uh, uh i've i've thought of it you know if you ever wanted to start a, another career you'd be uh, you'd be great for doing uh, arranging like stag do's for guys
3: yeah yeah you know, that's
1: like, not a
2: bad idea yeah I, did, but, I mean i i one of the best times of my life i, I had when i was um doing the adventure training full time down at in selbridge um near you know in Brecon. There's an yeah. army place there where we take new recruits, 16 to 18-year-olds, and they were perfect because they hadn't already seen everything in life and they hadn't already made up the mind about everything, you know, so you could have a real influence on, on how people think about things and, um, you know, and taking people out for the first time, doing kayaking and rock climbing and watching their, their experience. And it's a real honour, you know. Yeah. Um, the uh, Even with the, with the skydiving, you know, you get people who are... They were absolutely terrified, but then they'll thank you on the ground, you know, so there was this one guy, he's a a para, you know, so, you know, you get the, you know, you get like what I do, I mean, it's parachuting, but I'm not in a parachute regiment type of thing, you know. There's a parachute regiment where they jump out of military aircraft at a very low height, 800 feet. You know, I mean that, that would scare me because was very 800? low. 800. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know the, these guys and they've got all the military kit on as well. You know and what have you, So it's it's, it's, a, it's a different ball game. But one of these guys came on came on a um, on a course with me doing static line in Canada. So and it was my job to dispatch him from the aircraft, right? And um, now in these little Cessnas. Once you've got out of the aircraft, once you've got out, what you would do is you'd step onto a little step and then you hold on to the wing of the aircraft, right? So, <laughs> um, And then you sort of let your feet dangle and then you let go. And you're almost kind of... It's perfect because you're almost in the sort of... In the free fall position already, right? But once you get out of the plane, you can't get back in because... The, the thing could get wrapped round your neck. It could be very dangerous, right? You know, so if you leave the plane, I and mean, this is explained to people, you know, before they get out that you well, we're not going to push you, we're not going to force you, even though you're supposed to be tough military, we're not going <laughs> to make you jump, right? Um, you know, despite what people say, it'll be, you know, we'll give you the instruction. It's up to you to jump. And, um, but inevitably, anyway, this, this para guy, who is a, like I say, he's a parachute regiment, and they're probably, everybody's watching this thing. They probably hate me for telling this story, but you get out of the plane. And he's holding on to the wing, right? And he's in the, and then he goes, no, 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 I can't do it. And he tries to get back in. So uh, I kicked his feet off the off the plane, but he's still hanging on by his wing, oh, right? And I, I'm like, For fuck's sake, you know, I don't want this to happen. Cause I, I'm an instructor, like, I don't want this to happen really. So I'm, but I'm I don't want the paperwork. The plane, and he's going, oh god, I got
3: kids, I got kids. Ah! <laughs>
2: I've got it video somewhere. It's absolutely... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, He ended it on the ground for making him do it, you know, but, and, but because uh, yeah. I think the boss would have had a few things to say if he didn't actually jump. But uh, I wouldn't have personally pushed
5: him. i before got out. So. What was the... So what's the difference then? Is like, if he's jumping out of a, a plane at 800 feet, is it like one of those line parachutes, what you were talking about before? Is it a little bit different? He's not in control of... Uh, the no, situation.
2: It, it, it's a different style of parachute. They, so they're usually round parachutes rather than square parachutes. So we, the ones that we jump out that I'm used to, uh, are square, so you steer them, right? Um, these, the round ones, you, they don't. Steer, you can steer them, but not so much. Uh, they, and uh, and yeah, they deploy from a lot lower. But the principle is the same. It's a bit like the static line. Yeah, when you know, once when, when they jump out, it does pull it out. Right. But you know, there are a lot of other complications because those guys to think about you know they've got other people um there that are deploying right next to them you know so Mm. if they get underneath their wind their parachute collapses and they slide around that guy and then those reopens again (laughs) very 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 scary you know and (laughs) they haven't got if they do have a problem like me if i had a problem most of the time i know i didn't when i had the accident but most of the time i've got thousands and thousands of feet to sort it out and nothing but air you know i'm not going to hit anything whereas if something happens to those guys at, at 800 feet, they mm. seriously need to fix it quickly. Otherwise, you know, there's no mm. point in deploying the second parachute when you're only 100 foot off the ground. You're going mm. to end up like, like I did, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it's a lot more of a, a No,
5: yeah. I just found it interesting why you would uh, find that more scary than the other thing, I suppose. That's oh, it. It's yeah. just what's an unknown, I, I guess, isn't it?
2: I mean, there's, a, there's an old story. I don't know if you've got time for all this stuff, but there's, um, there's an old story about the Gurkha. Gher- you've heard of the Gurkha? You know, the Gherka? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Gurkhas are, I mean, I've come across a lot of Gurkhas in my time. They are fearless, <laughs> warriors. You know, these people are very literal as well. If you like, you know, if you tell them to, to, to do something, they will, they will follow orders to the letter, you know. And um, so, <laughs> so there's a famous story where they were, they were sort of thinking about putting the Gurkhas into, um, I think it's Belize or somewhere like that, on the in the jungle. And the uh, so they're giving him the briefing. He's saying, right, you know, the enemy are here, here, and here, and you guys are going. To, we're going to drop you at eight hundred feet, just here above the uh, above the trees here, and uh, in and, uh, in this area. And you can hear all the Gurkhas sort of chattering away to each other. And and the colonel's like, you know, this this would never normally happen because these are very disciplined people. So uh, he says, come on, you know, what is it? What, what's the problem? And uh, so one of them pipes up and sort of says, stop. We, we're gonna jump, but uh, we just wonder if we can go from a little bit lower. And he says, "But if we send you from lower, the parachutes won't open." He said, "I oh, came parachutes. <laughs> 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 we go anyway, right?
0: the trees, yeah. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs>
1: well." Wow. I think that's um, a good place to stop. We're rocking up to mm. an hour already. I can't believe how quickly it's gone in. know I mean, you can have brilliant. to See, have you
2: yeah. talking about coronavirus and all, and all
1: that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Talk about that next time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can
5: come back and talk about the ultra biking next time. Oh yeah, of
1: yeah, course, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Ian rides far. He does ride far. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, biking, yeah,
1: yeah. Really, yeah, really, really talked
0: about
1: that. <laughs> just no, <coming>. um, <laughs> next time. It goes so yeah. quick, doesn't it? So make sure uh, the links will be in the uh, description, as usual, eavesdroppers, so you can follow it. You can follow Ian on Instagram, um, YouTube. Have you got Facebook as well, Ian? Uh, I have, yeah, I've got a kind of a thing on there.
2: Yeah, say, say hello on Twitter, I'm on Twitter. Twitter. Um, you know, the, uh, none of it's very, you know, commercial or anything, it's just me. yeah. So, yeah. Hi, more
1: than welcome. It's great. Thanks for coming. We've really enjoyed it. It's been fascinating.
2: Yeah, wonderful. Thank you.
1: And uh, brilliant. We'll see you. uh, We'll see you in a little bit. Just stay on the line, Ian, while we play ourselves out, and uh, we'll be back in a flash. Thank you. To all. Right then, eavesdroppers, we're back. The dwarf,
7: the cripple, and the mother of madness.
1: That was our chat with Ian. Ian Lyons from Ian Rides yeah. Far.
7: What mm. a legend. Yeah. Top guy. Yeah. Smashed
1: his femur through
7: yeah. his pelvis. Both
5: of but, them. did you did you hear um Ben questioning why he didn't have a DMT experience when he broke his clavicle? <laughs> <laughs>
8: didn't
7: have didn't have anything.
1: Nothing. Yeah, I I had a Nothing. paper cut the other day. No no DMT at all. What's going on, Ben? You're a scientist. Well, did it no, hit? You
5: know. No, just interestingly, did it hit you when you brought when you fell off your bike?
7: Not immediately, no. Right. I, it was when I tried to pick the other fella up or pick my bike off the other fella.
9: I that's um, it hit.
7: that I realized I had no it was um, more weird than anything. I had no, <laughs> no kind of strength on one side, so I couldn't do anything. That's normal, so, isn't it? Oh, is <laughs> yeah. Less strength than the, isn't it? the piddly amount.
5: Well, you only masturbate with one arm, don't you, I suppose? That's the thing. That sounds
1: like
7: an amateur statement to make. <laughs> <laughs> it's got me thinking, you know,
1: uh, I'm going to try and find a an ex, some sort of expert or professor in near-death experiences. Yeah, it's good. I think it's a good uh, subject to uh, explore. It's in our niche.
5: Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah.
1: It's really
7: interesting. Happens to us all. So, can you. At least once.
5: Can you buy DMT, like
1: illegally? Or something, you know, oh, like you can buy LSD. Yeah.
7: <laughs> yeah.
5: Can you buy it?
1: Yeah. We, can you? Yeah, yeah. We we know someone who's had it. Ooh. Oh, yeah, we do, yeah. Joe Rogan? No. Someone no. who may have been a. Well, a few people. Someone who may have been a guest for a while. Mm hmm. On
5: the oh, I can't remember.
1: But yeah, so, not to So you
5: can. So you can is yeah, it like it. is it like um It's in your fucking head? <laughs> I know it's in your fucking head.
7: That's but... not where they're getting from though. It's not like <laughs> not cracking skull. Yeah, it's, like, know, it's, it's like it's like
1: adrenochrome. Down glance. <laughs> it's like well once they finish milking the blood out of the children, <laughs> they uh they extract the DMT from the pineal gland as well and set on the oh, black so, market.
5: Uh, yeah, that's just it's so is it like a, a psychedelic class yeah. of
1: drug then? Have you oh, heard okay. of ayahuasca? Bless
5: you. Ayahuasca, because that's what that guy... Um, what was his name on the Buzzcocks who presented it after... Simon Anstall? Yeah, he he had depression, oh. and he went and did the ayahuasca thing, mm. and
1: he, I, apparently cured his depression. Graham his, Hancock, his depression. you know the author Graham Hancock? Did he do it as Things well? just keep getting older, Graham Hancock. He he had, a, in a point of his life, found that he was abusing marijuana. Yeah, right. He, he was stoned from the moment he woke up to the moment he went to sleep. Yeah. And he was abusing it. And he went on an ayahuasca journey in the mm. South America, and it, yeah. cured, it cured him of his addiction. there seems to be
5: something I've, from the limited reading I've done, it does some kind of reset mm. of the brain, apparently. Um, yeah how it does
1: that <coughs> more god work. only knows more work needs to be done yeah <coughs> Should we do some housekeeping okay housekeeping.
7: get the duster out
3: housekeeping housekeeping
0: <laughs> housekeeping
1: Quite a bit of house, housekeeping to do. It's quite
5: it's, uh, quite a lot of effort you put into the housekeeping jingle. <laughs> yeah. Not
1: really. Uh First note of housekeeping, iTunes reviews. Yeah, we, we need iTunes yeah. reviews. We know about 10, 15% of you listening on iTunes right now. So there's yeah. no excuse. How long does it take to leave a review on iTunes?
7: 17 seconds.
1: Yeah, so... <laughs> That's equivalent to falling out of a plane for at mm, three thousand feet. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So we need that. Um, Share it about if you like it. Uh, We got a message actually, just like fifteen minutes before we started recording from Austin on Instagram. Really? Yeah. Yeah. would does. I wasn't expecting. Austin. Our time. Austin from Insta. Austin from Insta. I wasn't expecting this Amish Inquisition. Thanks. Dig in the podcast. Bullhorn emoji. Oh. Bullhorn emoji. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, Ben, he's a bass player. Oh, no, you don't, we don't want any more of them. A fellow Scythian. A fellow <laughs> filthy Scythian bass player. Well,
7: skull to Austin.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, that's... Um, how you you become a producer? We've had loads this week. People send us articles, um, video clips, links to different stuff. We've had uh, guest recommendations in this week. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, direct messages on Instagram. There's loads of ways to become a producer and help us out. But the big one we need to push is iTunes reviews because apparently that is a thing, even though we know yeah. only 10% of people listen on iTunes. It's one of these things that has commercial validity somehow, even though no one fucking uses it. So that's what we need if you want to help us out. how will you... a
7: prize to the most outrageous review over the next week.
1: Yeah, yeah, can do.
7: What would that prize be? Being a
1: producer. Oh, well, well, a bonus prize. We'll, we'll sort An executive out. producer. Maybe you'd like a pewter masonic... <laughs> Um, what's it called? What's tanker? the first thing Shut that off. I sign in, in in the room? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't want really to give away something I want.
7: <laughs> just say? I'll sign a playing card. I've just found.
1: All right, nice one. Jack of there heart. Oh, you are the Jack of Hearts, Amish. Yeah. How Jack else, Amish Matt How else can you become a producer? Um, what's the number one way. How do you become an executive producer? You do stuff. You donate fucking yes yes go to the website com. click on the tab that says how to become a producer and the best way is monetary donations toss us a fucking coin
3: toss a coin to your witcher oh valley of plenty oh valley of plenty oh. you're
8: a lion dog faced pony toss soldier to your
3: witcher, anything else oh valley of plenty
1: uh, we should probably thank the producers before we finish up the housekeeping Uh, so we've got Gav from Lancashire Hot Pod, uh, Neil from Facebook, Anonymous and then from Insta we've got Maxatrillions Jonathan B. Champ, The Superluminal and Lord Ghost Lord Ghost, (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you for your courage and for helping
7: us cheers guys,
1: (laughs) yeah, anything else? is that the uh, is that the fucking housekeeping done?
8: and Corn Pop was a bad dude Whoa, hairy legs
1: yeah. that's it okay well thank you thank you eavesdroppers you are so amazing
7: in your <laughs> love I can't say why while you're laughing <laughs> they are yeah so
3: amazing in their love
1: it's going out to all you eavesdroppers out there <laughs> you're wrong and you're a grotesquely
10: ugly freak I've been coming to terms with the fact that I am gay. Like a judgment day and Terminator mode like.
7: <laughs> I imagine the carrot was my
3: penis. Grab <laughs> stick and twist it! Take your sticking paws off me, you damn
0: dirty ape!
1: Yeah, that was a nice oh, musical wow. interlude, wasn't it? Yes, it was,
7: it was certainly an interlude. <laughs>
1: Have you, has your wife taken your
5: children out for the day or something?
1: No, I've been to the, uh, <coughs> I've been to the park today with the kids. Ah, uh, right, okay. Oh, did it, I did it, would have it Your forehead was like a beetroot. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. So, shall we move on to news? COVID yeah. news. Oh, speeding through. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of the time. <laughs> 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 Matt, you chastised me last week. Oh, why? You chastised me for not having a COVID news jingle. You said, What have you been doing for the last six months? (laughs) Do you not remember? I just (laughs) chastise a lot of people a lot of (laughs) the (laughs) time. All right, well, I took note of the criticism. Okay, good.
8: This
7: morning, as COVID cases
8: mount across the country, the mass debate is intensifying. People are very passionate on both sides of the great
3: mass debate. The partisan mass debate is heating up. Mass debate's growing. The president is trying to have us cover the mass debate.
9: CBS Target and Walgreens are getting in on the mass debate.
8: The mass debate now taking center stage at local restaurants.
9: It's nine minutes after six now, and there's new video of a raging mass debate.
3: You know,
1: it's just, you know,
3: super painful. But... There you
1: go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was an extended cut. It won't be that Good. long. Every, I like that. Ever again.
7: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, we've had uh, some COVID news this week. I decided to focus on our Antidipodean friends. Easy <laughs> <laughs> for you to say? <laughs>
5: the Antidipodeans. Antipodeans. It's a P in there somewhere, isn't it? mm <laughs> <laughs> It's not all D's. Do you know, it's all, it's all kicking off in Victoria and in Melbourne. Oh, is this the place where they've been asked to lock down and the cases are just spiralling out of control?
1: Oh, well, it's just, it's not just an emergency anymore. Check, check this
4: From 6pm tonight, I am declaring a state of uh, disaster across Victoria. This will be in addition to the state of emergency. You will no longer be able to leave home or go any further away from your home than a five kilometre radius. There will be a curfew across metropolitan Melbourne from 8pm this evening, and it will run from 8pm to 5am each and every day. And the only reason to be out of your home between the hours of 8pm and 5am is to get care, to give care uh, or to go to and from work or be at work. It's
5: getting serious. Right. So, can I just, I've just straight away come up with a thing with that five kilometer radius, mm. okay? So, five kilometer radius or whatever is a quite a big circle. And then if you multiply that by all everybody else's circles, So potential there is you just cover the entire state anyway, with your five-kilometre circles.
7: Like a relay race. You hand over the 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 virus to your next next circle. Yep. Don't you?
5: Anyway, you know, it's me. (laughs) And the other thing as well, you're staying in your house between eight and five. You that's, when, the I was, that's, that's, that's <laughs> when i stay in my house anyway who leaves the house after eight at night what mad heads do that
1: yeah yeah it's fine why don't I just lock them up for 24 hours a day then <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah fuck them <laughs> we've got a got a the, the police chief went full fascist this week
11: Really briefly on what we're already doing because we have a significant commitment. We have Operation Sentinel, which is every day 500 police officers out and about, uh, tasking, checking populous places, knocking on doors, a whole range of things. We have Operation Sentinel 2, which is the vehicle checkpoints, eight vehicle checkpoints right around the restricted area, those permanent ones where we're checking the access and egress right throughout the state. We have Operation Shielding, 160 transit police officers officers, uh, transit uh, protective services officers, I should say, and 80 um, police officers from transit who are out there every day, and they're making sure that there's public assurance, they're checking um, who should be in proper areas, and they're enforcing as you would expect them to be doing so. And from our perspective, though, the people, the vast majority who are doing the right thing need to understand for those who aren't, there is a consequence. And there are consequences, and I want to be really clear on that. In the last week, we've seen a trend, an emergence, if you like, of groups of people, small groups, but nonetheless concerning groups who classify themselves as sovereign citizens, whatever that might mean, uh, people who don't think the law applies to them. We've seen them at checkpoints, baiting police, um, not providing their name and address. On at least three or four occasions in the past week, we've had to smash the windows of people in cars and pull them out of there so they could provide their details because they weren't telling us where they were going. They weren't adhering to the Chief Health Officer guidelines. They weren't providing their name and their address. We don't want to be doing that, but people have to absolutely understand there are consequences for your actions and if you're not doing the right thing we will not hesitate to issue infringements to arrest you to detain you where it's appropriate the message is clear from me and it's simple we want you to stay at home that's what the chief health officer wants you to do we expect you to you to adhere to the chief health officer guidelines if you don't we will be enforcing those we will issue infringements we will arrest you we will detain you where we have to <laughs>
2: this,
5: he, he smashed he smashed someone's car window to drag them out because they wouldn't say where they were going
1: three or four times this week he says <laughs> the same person <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> driver's side. Honestly driver's side, and windscreen. The audio doesn't do it justice because if you see the video, he looks like is in a Nazi SS stormtrooper uniform. Has he got a little Skull and Crossbow? It fucking <laughs> might as well have. Jeez. I mean it couldn't look any more fascistic. <laughs> I'll send you yeah, a link to the video that's and a bit. I'll put it in the show notes.
5: Um Yeah, it's hardcore. Uh, how many people? How many people are dying? in... Is it Victoria? Was <laughs> it
1: the state? All right. I think we need to move on to the next set of clips. Okay. Uh, this was sent in by one of our Insta producers, and it's um, it's from Sky News Australia. Yeah. Uh, and you know, balanced views. They have like uh, the presenters sometimes at the end of a news program, they'll do like a five minute editorial piece to camera, like a summing right. up. So it's not, you know, it's an opinion piece. And uh, we got sent this clip, uh, this video, it was six minutes long, so I've had to cut chunks out of it. I've got it down to three clips. Um, so it's Alan Jones is the name of the presenter from Sky News. And you get the impression that he might be sceptical of the go- government's reaction to the virus.
4: All this coronavirus stuff goes on, doesn't it? You are writing to me in droves, all saying the same thing. Stop talking about the number of people who test positive. Tell us how many have tested. What percentage have tested positive? How many cases are critical? What are the ages of these people? What pre-existing conditions do the people have who've been admitted to hospital? How many cases are mild? How many have recovered? We're sick of the headlines. A registered nurse for over 30 years has written to me to say in desperation, this is government terrorism medical terrorism and media terrorism. They're genuinely and legitimately worried. Victorians are being told they could face restrictions until Christmas, as the Andrews government can't differentiate between those who test positive and those who are at risk. Now, if no one else makes the point, I have to. Peter Dunn tested positive. A few months ago, a young bloke who works for me tested positive. You're not about to dive into a coffin if you test positive. And yet here we are, not six months on, being told we've got to climb an economic mountain. We didn't create the mountain. This was created by politicians and bureaucrats who have not forfeited a cent. And now the Federal Treasurer tells us we're facing a set of eye-watering figures, eye-watering indeed. A budget deficit of about 300 billion, gross debt heading to 1 trillion. It's enough to make you vomit.
1: <laughs> wow. Doesn't mince his words. No. You won't get Emily Maitlis doing that. <laughs> and he's only just getting warmed up. He then goes on to go on about all the economic damages, the forecast for jobs, construction industry is going to shrink by 19%. 10% of all businesses are at risk of folding in September. He goes through a laundry list of the issues, the economic issues. Um, and then uh, the next clip, he talks about this professor of, professor of Im- Epidemiology? From Stanford, John Ayewinidis. Ayewinidis? So this is the next clip I got.
4: Now, governments have been long warned these would be the consequences. I'm not being wise after the event, but way back in April, I drew attention to the comments of Professor John Ioannidis, the Professor of Medicine and Professor of Epidemiology and Population Health at Stanford University School of Medicine. Would he know something? He made the point very early on, and I quote, If we'd not known about a new virus out there and had not checked individuals with PCR tests, the number of total deaths due to quote-unquote influenza-like illness would not have seemed unusual this year. At most, we might have casually noted that flu this season seems a bit worse than average. The media coverage, he wrote, would have been less than for an NBA game between the two most indifferent teams, unquote. Well, no one bothered to listen to him. They picked their own experts, advocating massive lockdowns, and now this economic trillion-dollar mess. What this?
5: So, how many? you still hasn't said sort of how many people have died. I suppose. Is that? Is this? Is this what we said right at the beginning, wasn't it? About weighing up that cost of not doing anything versus doing something and the risk that that involves
1: and malin um, when malin was here he put it really well he was talking about choosing the path of least harm mm. and it and it's harms that we have to weigh up Well, yeah but you know if you're in at the beginning of it what would
5: uh, it was all quite scary i suppose wasn't it that's
1: yep. the thing that was end of february that was march we're, we're yeah, now, we're was now all, in august really kicking off we're now in August. Mm. I don't know. And
8: it just,
5: but it's the other thing as well is that if, um, you know, cases do increase, it's that same thing for us in this country about the health service being overwhelmed and there not being critical care beds for accidents and all the other things that they would expect. The thing and is, we,
1: we've been through the first wave and it wasn't overwhelmed. The, the mothball in the Nightingale Hospital's So why are we afraid Mm. of a second wave? Well, I don't know. It might be, it could be worse, could it? I don't know. They always cite the Spanish flu and then that the second wave was worse than the first. Mm. But this isn't the Spanish flu. What was the death rate for Spanish flu? 30 odd, 20% something? You know, we're dealing with a different beast here. Mm. Uh,
8: I'm
1: coming to the conclusion that We've got to live with it.
7: That, I think, that, um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I think that that fellow you just had on was, you know, made some made some decent points, and it, it is that sort of, it's the response of the government advised by experts <coughs> that is that is causing any of the socio-economic. Um, problems that we're facing not well that not just australia are facing but it's the same in the uk it's the same anywhere where anyone has had any sort of political response to the mm. to the pandemic it seems to have started started with science base but all from a selected group of experts uh, as you might expect um, but it seems to have kind of gone off the rails slightly and, and just run away Um and now we we are, like Australia, in going to be in a, a bit of a mess. We've got Brexit around the corner as well. I don't know. I can't see that having an easing effect on on the situation. Uh, I might be wrong. but
1: Yet to be seen. You, you lead yeah. us back. You're sort of going the same way that Alan Jones was. And I've got the last clip here, which was his final summing up. At the end. still the deal. <laughs> and it's pretty staggering to listen. This is mainstream broadcast news. It's Sky. And it's pretty staggering what he comes up with.
4: What is at the end of the road? All the government estimates this week say that business will have a rapid bounce back. Well, I hope so. What do you think? I'll tell you what you'd be entitled to think. With militant protests on the street, monuments and statues being knocked down, freedom of speech being destroyed, people terrified to speak out, unhinged, snarling, human pit bulls frightening the tripe out of people. Metaphor of all of this are the persistent attacks directed towards Donald Trump, a democratically elected president, and now a virus ripping the guts out of the economy. You'd be entitled to think there's an agenda out there, comprehensively determined to destroy Western society as we know it.
1: What? <laughs> exactly, yeah. You didn't see that coming, did you?
5: No. What was that uh, conspiracy overarching book that you read recently?
1: Oh, loads of them. <laughs> no, not one. Crikey. No. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Coming out of... Can you imagine Hugh What's-His-Face on BBC doing that? Or Jeremy Paxman? No, but... um,
5: Australia is a bit like that, isn't it? They're extreme. <laughs> <No>. Well, <laughs> yeah, but, um, in uh, the, I think other news agencies allowed a little bit more freedom, basically. Are they not? I think it's quite tightly governed here, isn't it? News.
1: No, I don't think so. Maybe it's just the illusion of that. Mm, I don't know. I think it is.
7: What's, uh- Who's he saying, or does he allude to he, where this might be coming from?
1: He just says an agenda, doesn't he?
7: An agenda, yeah, to, ag- to bring ag- Western civilization down.
1: Yeah, there's an agenda at play.
7: Where would who would, it. well, China or Russia? I guess was the was the mm-hmm. two.
1: Oh no, no, no! We're going beyond national borders here. We're going, we're, going to Antarctica? we're
7: going to what Antarctica
1: we're going to what what Ian was talking about who really runs the world the 12 yes. <laughs> the 12 families
0: yeah I don't know
1: the Clintons I'm an idiot I don't know anything <laughs> you know <laughs> is it <laughs> Mm. Well we can't get stuck on it. We've tons to get through yet. Oh god, oh, God. There's a fucking there was an armed. there was a street fight, a brawl, and a incident took place in California. Right. Some hot coffee was involved, but no no apples, Ben. Just the black uh. coffee. No apples.
9: Hey, off me! A bloody fight erupts after a woman in Manhattan Beach throws coffee at a man not wearing a mask.
0: You shouldn't have thrown the drink in his face, I don't. I- give
12: a-
9: you know. should not have you thrown the drink. That was
0: You shouldn't do that with somebody hey, you that likes have COVID
9: now, you better go to the doctor. The verbal sparring continues after, after the fight.
10: You shouldn't have thrown the drink in his face. Yeah, was that was I, pretty I, stupid. I, I don't I know where you got off on doing know. that. I hope that someone saw that and I would do it ten times over mother. Matt Roy
9: and his friend James Hernandez, who are anti-masks, say they were having a conversation about how they feel about people wearing masks while at a downtown Manhattan Beach coffee shop on Friday
13: morning. This couple overheard us, and they took offense to it, and it really triggered them.
9: They say after getting their coffee, they walked a couple of blocks away where they found a bench to drink their coffee and eat their burrito on. They say that's when the couple approached them.
3: You don't need to be wearing
6: masks. No, we don't. How
3: do I eat a burrito with my mask on?
9: Hernandez wears a body cam all the time, and caught the incident on camera.
6: They were asking us to put our masks
8: on. We just found that ridiculous because we're eating burritos and drinking coffee, and we're outdoors, so we said no.
9: The men say that's when tempers flared and the hot coffee assault occurred. The couple then called the cops.
8: The cops did their cop thing. You know, they separated us and took statements at the same time and, you know, asked if we want to press talk. You get
1: the idea. So I didn't realize how long that clip was. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> It's all, it's all about the mask debate. The
7: mask debate,
1: yeah. I thought that was well, pretty wild. Assault on the street for not wearing a mask. Oh, what's that thing from last week, is that a mask debate? Not
5: a mass debate, M A S S debate. It's a
7: raging mask debate.
5: <laughs> oh, is it mask debate? <laughs> mm, I thought it was mask debate. Like they're organising a massive debate.
1: There was, no, uh,
7: no,
1: what? I don't know. That's what I was, that was, was confusing me when I want to say. We're, we're, we sort of uh, glanced upon the subject of conspiracy theories before. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, there was a protest in London this week about the COVID response from the government. And uh, there- p- yeah, there was a demonstration in London. I got a clip of one of the protesters...
3: COVID-19 was called COVID-19 because it's 19 years since the last bloody disaster, which was the uh, made-up um, uh, Twin Tower explosions. Uh, COVID actually stands for... Look, I can't remember what it is. I've had half a beer. But it's, this is all a just, a, just a, a reset
2: button. This is to hurry things up. They want to get Trump off his perch. This is the only way they can do it. They've got to stop
3: those elections. They've got to get the Democrats in. They've got to get old sleepy Joe Biden in. What they're looking to do is get the Blacks Uprising by these Antifa riots, this Democrat state's bloody melting down at the moment because their councillors are all brown envelopes, they're all paid off. We know it's it's corrupt around the whole Western nations, everywhere. The councillors are all
2: paid off, they're all Marxists, all playing the Chinese game because China own pays their wages. That's it. Wow. Jet fuel, jet fuel
7: can't JFK the moon landings. <laughs> 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 he's had half a yeah. beer. <laughs> I think. I think it was eighteen years ago as well. Two thousand one. Yeah. Yeah, idiot.
1: Yeah, it's so it's so disappointing. That's like the British is the British example of a conspiracy theorist. He's no he's no legendary punisher, is he? No. <laughs> Have you heard no. le- legendary legendary punisher on Twitter? No. Oh fuck! He he got interviewed on a live news broadcast from a Trump rally, and and, and then went viral because of his response. It's it's fucking it's a thing to behold.
13: You st- where do you stand with um, all the issues that are taking place um, in today, uh, or I should say more recently with the whole BLM movement, the whole police, um, anti-police, um, anti-government almost basically? Where do you stand with all that?
6: Well, I mean, the thing is, is that, I mean, if you're going to burn down cities and defund the police, you're no friend of ours. I mean, these people are the same people that rigged an election, rigged an investigation and rigged an impeachment process against the American people, and they lost all three. I mean, they voted for a guy named Obama not once but twice, and he stole everything. That's why they were down on Epstein Island raping and eating those babies down there. Just look at the flight logs. They all knew who he was, what he did, where he did it. That's why they got on his plane to fly down there and do it with them. That's that's what the real problem is. It's pedophilia, and and as soon as uh, you know everybody finds out that all these people are pedophiles, that's when the party really begins. Yes. Yeah,
13: so because- got to expose them for who they really are and what? show people give people the truth instead of five
6: thousand dollars worth of hot wow. dogs please explain that to me wow. it's in their own emails
13: wow. well thank you for sharing that not a problem. thank you for sharing. now I had one question for you yeah. why do you choose today not to wear a
6: mask well the reason why I don't wear a mask is because it's not easy being a trendsetter you know uh it, you know people think it's easy but uh but it's not I mean it's a it's a hoax 99.5 7% survival rate? Are you kidding me? I mean, you've got Bill Gates running around like a psychopath trying to cram his vaccine down my throat, and I'm doing just fine without it, Bill. Didn't you go down to Epstein Island yourself? I, you know, Epstein and Weinstein just doesn't sound like a Presbyterian problem to us. A bit of anti-Semitism no, isn't in there. Thank you
13: for sharing that, but of course that does not go against the basic safety procedures that we should Why be doing at a on a daily basis. At <laughs> a daily basis, washing your hands, staying as, as, at least as far away as possible. Get that yeah. mask Ask
6: off. I'd make out with you.
13: <laughs> okay. oh my God. Well, anyway, Stephen, it was so great talking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank Uh, you. Do you have anything else you want to say maybe to other Trump supporters who can't be
6: out here? Absolutely. Stars and bars, red, white, and blue home team, man. It's Trump 2020. They're throwing an octogenarian at us, struggling with dementia, trying to hide liquor on his breath, dealing with a son who just got a stripper pregnant down in Arkansas, cheating on his dead (laughs) brother's wife.
13: (laughs) Well, Stephen, again, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. You have a blessed day. Well, uh, he had a, a lot
8: our stories, I'm sure. And um, yeah, oh my God. I,
5: I think you did send that, didn't you? I did watch that. It was really oh, funny. That. Th- that's th- at the end. Send him a Semitism. The thrown out as an octogenarian Weinstein.
1: Oh, fucking really. that. It sounds like a WWF wrestler at the end. Isn't yeah, it nice? it's great. I loved it. Is that true about Joe Biden's son? Then. Hunter? Oh, God, there was a development today. Biden's been named now by the Ukrainian court. Oh, what does that mean? Is this the counter-offensive against... Criminal criminal law proceedings going on. And it, previously it was an unnamed American and they released his name. That is Joe Biden on the on the name, that, on the uh, warrant or whatever it is. Bill, whatever. Right. Because they're all fucking bent, aren't they? It's nothing new. <laughs> His son his son was over there working for an oil company and a director's job, fifty thousand dollars a month. How does Hunter Biden get that job? Mm. Come on. They're all bent. Mm. It's nothing new. Uh I've won I've uh, I'll, I'll skip the doctors for North America, what it was. I had a clip from Doctor, but times marching on. We haven't even got to the it's fucking fine. Trump and Biden yet. It's fine, man. <sighs> yeah. Oh, you know. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I got hip again off Insta, Insta, Instagram. Instagram's on fire. You know, we're, we're burning it up. We're turning it up. <laughs> I, got, <laughs> I got I got hip to uh, a TV. This is from a TV show in 2003. Check this shit.
6: China. Isn't that where flu viruses come from? Yeah. A lot of viruses come from there. Whatever it is, it originated in China.
9: Time is not on our side.
7: It's like looking for a needle in a needle stack.
9: We have ruled out all the usual suspects, influenza, SARS, bacterial pneumonia.
6: How long is it going to take? Well, it took 34 days to isolate the coronavirus that caused SARS, and
0: that's fast.
9: I'm authorizing a quarantine on everyone who's come in contact with a symptomatic
6: person. There's gotta be something I can do.
12: And the enzyme S virus the things, when they resist so the
8: chloroquine. So the chloroquine so chlor- No, 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 no. The Chloroquine.
0: This is it. This is your virus.
9: I am sorry, but there's no cure for that.
12: Chloroquin. That's an anti-malarial drug, though.
6: No. Listen! It suppresses the enzymes. Oh, enzyme
1: <laughs> that's called um, what's it called dead something dead zone from 2003 classic
5: what so, there's a mat
1: there's, there's a there's a there's a virus a new coronavirus that comes from china and the only cure is hydroxychloroquine <laughs> it's bonkers mm. <sighs> okay Should we move on from clovid that was, a, right, that, so was a, that just COVID <laughs> that was the serious uh-huh. part yeah that was COVID news fucking hell uh, COVID-19,
0: COVID-19
1: news <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was supposed to be the serious part and then we got oh. onto the fun part once we've done this oh if
5: I can they should, should, should warn us to the new the format changes <laughs> Uh, US election Oh, election
1: news Have you got an election news jingle? No nope. What have you been doing for six <laughs> months? <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to, but We didn't have time to play a clip last week We like okay. we like the, the gaffes here mm-hmm. You know, hairy legs, corn pop <laughs> Yeah, he was oh, a yeah. dude um, <laughs> but, And dude. the clip we didn't play last week was Biden turning up for a speech And getting lost and forgetting where he was Again
8: <laughs> Good afternoon everyone Welcome to Kingswood Community Centre.
5: Oh, God.
8: Actually, that's the one down I used to work. As a joke. You didn't know where you we were anyway. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
7: it
1: sounds like he's on a respirator. Yeah, he's fucked. Oh, God. Um, there was a famous uh, <clears throat> interview this week where he was challenged about his mental capacity. If he'd done a test, this is quite
8: interesting. Have you taken a cognitive No, test? I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think, huh?
11: Are, are you a junkie? What do you say to President Trump who brags about his tests and makes your mental state an issue for voters?
8: Well... If he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Did you watch that? Look, come on, man. I I, I know you're trying to goad me, but I mean, I'm so forward looking to have an opportunity to sit with the president or stand with the president in debates. There's going to be plenty of time. And by the way, as I joke with him, you know, I I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I don't I I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I am uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical and mental my physical as well as my mental f- fitness. <laughs> 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 Fucking unreal, oh, isn't
5: awful. it? Oh, oh my god! god. What? Uh, who was so, that
7: young guy who, who was a prospect? Beto Beto O'Rourke or something? He was like a normal aged person.
1: Oh, it was it was it's Biden's turn. He was right, VP. It's yeah. his turn. Hillary's out of the way. He's next in line.
7: You don't pick who people else?
1: based on how competent they are.
7: Who else is on that flight manifest then? So we can decide who the next president is. Because these guys aren't going to last long, right? Neither of them.
1: No, we'll get onto the VP pick in a minute. Because uh, mm. he, he hasn't finished putting his foot in his mouth. That was only Monday. Oh, God, I can't can't listen anymore. And then, Monday, Monday. Not, not content with telling African-Americans that you ain't black if you don't vote for me. He then goes on to tell them this week that they
8: aren't diverse enough. Yes, and by the way, what you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community <laughs> with incredibly different attitudes about different things. You go to Florida, you find a very different attitude about immigration in certain places. just like, oh, you can't help putting
1: his foot in his mouth. What's he, what's he even trying to say? He's saying that the the African American community isn't diverse. Yeah, I know, in, in terms of its <laughs> thought, but why would you even say that? He was talking what? to a Latin presenter for some sort uh, of Latin thing. So he's bigging up the Latins. Uh, How can American. I do that? Or oh, I'll slag off the African Americans. Yeah. It's, oh, it's weird. There was an interview, because uh, you, Ben, you mentioned the VP. Or was mm. it Matt? Because he's so old, and he's obviously, if he gets elected, he's not going to make it through the term. That VP is essentially going to be president, so it's very important. And there was um, a piece on Deutsche Welle this week, which I clipped, where they were discussing the VP. Uh, is it got a good anchor?
7: Yeah, excellent. It's in German.
12: Um, what does Biden's choice need to bring to the table to give Democrats the best chances of beating President Trump in November?
5: Right, Claire, I mean, vice presidential picks have often been seen as bringing kind of a strength where the candidate has a weakness. With Biden, it is obviously his age, but not only that, he is a man. So, yes, he
1: he already said that he's going to pick a woman. He... Do you catch that?
7: One of the weaknesses is that he's a man.
1: That's an interesting way of framing it.
7: I don't know. That might be a relevant point in this this modern way of thinking. When did depending on, depends on how the voters are thinking. If they're if they're looking for a progressive, uh, you know, path, then they might be looking for um, you know, black and minority ethnic, female, homosexual picks.
1: Since when has been a man a weakness?
7: Depends. Depends on the man. I mean, look at this fine specimen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just thought that was pretty. I don't know. It's weird, man. I thought well, it was I supposed to be equal. Was it not <laughs> equal. Well,
7: <laughs> the picking <laughs> presents, so the vote in terms of voting isn't it? It's, it's down to yeah. the, the current mindset is, you know, let's let's. Let's give the girls a go, I guess. It would, it would be oh right? Right. That is that. That is in a nutshell what the current mindset is. So a <laughs> then in in the mind of the um, you know the voting population, then yeah, it certainly is picking another old white dude. Is, isn't going to work for, for modern society anymore, as it as it stands. Which is fine. It's which is fine. And why isn't it fine? <laughs> Do you not think that's that's what she meant when she said that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think
1: it's completely flawed. Yeah, because right, okay. I believe that in a meritocracy.
5: You see, you get you get mm. people the best person for the job, don't you? Hopefully,
1: that's the idea, isn't yeah. it? No matter if they're a man or a woman, yeah, yeah, or in ideally. between. I mean, it sounds like positive discrimination, doesn't it? It
7: does, yeah, it does. a little bit, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm not into it. <laughs> anyway, I think we, we
7: just gotta live with it, yeah. like COVID.
1: <laughs> we um we beat up Joe Biden here, and it's yeah. not because we're partisan. We're apolitical, but Trump has done some fucking humdingers this week. Oh, the thing that you sent Ben.
0: Oh let's start God. the first
1: the first one was
5: that the one with the charts yeah I honestly thought that was like the way it was filmed it was
1: a sitcom was this brilliant. is this is Trump um going over the death figures with a reporter and he's got his he's brought his paper, his graphs with him
3: we're look at some of these charts I'd yeah. love to we're gonna look let's look and if you look at death yeah start to go Here's up again one. well right here. United States is lowest in the world. (laughs) Numerous categories Uh, were lower than the world. Lower than lower than Europe? In what? In what? Take a look. Right here is case death.
11: <coughs> oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the US is really bad. Well, well much worse than South Korea, Germany, etc. You
3: can you can't do that. You have Why to go, I do you that? have to <laughs> go by you have to go by where... Look, here is the United States. So, okay. Now, look, we're last, meaning we're 1st last. I don't know we what we're first As <laughs> we oh, again, to do. let look, get that's cases. Just, okay. Phone finger number one. We're, <laughs> no, the, we're the, the last, which means
1: we're the best, which means we're number the God,
3: <laughs>
1: it's <laughs> yeah, bonkers, isn't
7: it? That, uh, that interview was fantastic.
5: It was just bizarre. You were just waiting bizarre. for, like... Ricky Gervais to come and look at the camera <gasps> yeah. and do a
1: funny face
7: um, <laughs>
1: you know I I don't even think that was his best faux pas it's certainly not my favourite faux pas uh, there's <sighs> two more which trump it <laughs> um, he was doing a speech about the national parks did you hear this one no
3: when young Americans experience the breathtaking beauty of the Grand Canyon when their eyes widen in amazement as old faithful bursts into the sky when they gaze upon Yosemites, Yosemites towering sequoias, their love of country grows stronger and they know that... Has- it's it's Yosemite. Yeah. Mm.
1: When you look at the Semites. Yosemites. <laughs> Yo. Oh, man. I love that one. That's a good one, but I, it wasn't my favorite. <laughs> This is probably the stupidest, but it's definitely my favourite Trump Trump highlight of the week. It's talking about globalisation and uh, manufacturing moving to the Far East.
3: In 2017, Whirlpool won relief from the ITC once again. Once more, your foreign competitors moved their factories to prevent a level playing field and to avoid liability, shifting production to Thailand... And to Vietnam, Thailand and Vietnam, (laughs) two places that I like their leaders very much.
5: Thailand. (laughs) Thailand. That sounds like a nice place.
3: (laughs) That's what happened to uh, Ian. (laughs) (laughs)
7: Do
1: you think that's what him and his buddies at Mar-a-Lago call it? Thailand.
7: Thailand. (laughs) And he just
1: slipped in. I think there's a sexual connotation there.
3: Gross.
1: Uh, not... You fi- know, he will not finished there. He was going to accuse Joe Biden of destroying God.
3: Going to do things that nobody ever would ever think even possible because he's following the radical left agenda. Take away your guns. Destroy your Second Amendment. No religion, no anything. Hurt the Bible. Hurt God. He's against God. He's against guns. He's against energy, our kind of energy.
7: God, Whoa. guns, and energy
3: hurt the it's Bible. Just, hurt God.
5: Just yeah, going for a sweet business time approach there. It's, <laughs> it's been really of a, a Destiny Two joke for you there, guys. Let's play to Thailand. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. It's just like right, you need to get all of these things in your answers. God, guns,
1: yeah. and energy. Yeah, second. It said our kind of energy, and our kind of energy is oil like and gas. Our, our energy. Like our, our our kind of energy. Uh moving on swiftly. Um Ben, I brought the um I played the BLM protester in London last week. Oh, um, did, we need yes. to address
10: the people. fact that you know all of these groups of people the issues they face it all comes from the same people white men so we need to get rid of them <laughs> um i
1: mean how we do that eat them you know? kill the rich kill the rich <laughs> and uh, i was struck by your response because you sort of your response was to kind of downplay it as students acting up and yeah I was a student once and
7: which oh, I didn't say that though
1: <laughs> which is true we know that students can be a bit loopy but on <laughs> uh, I got hit to this I found this clip by Brett Weinstein who was the professor from Evergreen College who got kicked out of his job and it's a short clip of a minute or a minute and a bit and it really sums up why this is important and incredibly eloquently.
0: I have to say, I keep being invited to talk about free speech on college campuses. And every time I'm invited, I make the same point, which is this isn't about free speech. And this is only tangentially about college campuses. This is about a breakdown in the basic logic of civilization and it's spreading. And college campuses may be the first dramatic battle, but of course this is going to find its way into the courts. It's already found its way into the tech sector. Um, It's going to find its way to the highest levels of governance if we're not careful. And it actually does jeopardize the ability of civilization to continue to function.
1: How has it gotten to this point?
0: Uh, In part, it has gotten to this point because we let it fester. These ideas were wrong when they first took hold in the academy. And instead of shutting them down, we created phony fields that act as a kind of analytical affirmative action where ideas that do not deserve to survive are given sustenance. These ideas are so toxic and so ill conceived that to the extent that they are allowed to hold sway as if One truth is equal to every other truth, right? My truth is as good as your truth. To the extent that that idea is allowed to pervade other institutions on which civilization depends, civilization will come apart. So we have to fight this. And don't get the sense that it is just about college campuses or kids overreacting because um, that ain't what this is. This is far more important than that.
1: Pretty chilling. This is
7: my truth. Tell me yours. I was
1: thinking about that. The Manics, yeah, mm. they're radical leftists as well, aren't they? I would not I don't think anymore. I think they
7: wear cardigans and drink tea. They
1: didn't they famously play in Cuba when yeah.
7: when no one else was playing there. The, yeah, the masses against the classes was one of their yeah singles. Mm. It was yeah. He made a good point. It was very distracting him playing the pheromone all the way through <laughs> that. <place>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: very good oh it's it's worth thinking about yeah language is fundamental and the way you're you're allowed to use language it's fundamental for finding the truth of things so we shouldn't be mixing up what is the truth you know this is my truth tell me yours no I'm afraid not there isn't there isn't a, a truth even though you might not like it and uh, we need to stick with that as much as we can I think Otherwise, we go down a fucking rabbit hole.
10: Literally a communist.
1: <laughs> I have a couple of more bits. Come on.
5: It's... i um, William I'm going and, for the record.
1: William and Kate were uh, out in the community, doing the current community thing, and nice. they were visiting a care home. Yes. And um, it was a care home that they had visited previously, and Will and Kay mm-hmm. were the bingo callers. And when they returned this week to the same care home, they had a rather harsh critique of their bingo calling skills.
11: Do you remember we came, you, you might not recognise the faces, but we did the bingo with you. Yes. You won.
10: Yes.
6: Yeah. But you said we didn't do a very good job.
10: Um, <laughs> a bloody shitty
3: job. <laughs> <That's> excellent. <laughs>
10: yeah, a bloody
1: shitty job. Brilliant. Yeah, get it right. Don't give a fuck at that age, do you? no No. what are you gonna do hang me
7: (laughs) make me president (laughs) uh
1: there was um a rare there was a karen in the wild this week
7: karens it's not like a I, i know this is like a it's come from the states and yeah you know it's i want to see the manager and Short bob hair and stuff, but isn't it? Wasn't it? Hasn't there ever been sort of a British Karen that would be be something else that we've kind of maybe erased from our our brains because Karen's such a
1: what about term now? What about Lorraine? Lorraine, (laughs) (laughs) could that be a British version?
7: Maybe I don't know, it just it, it kind of. There's a connection in my brain whenever mm. whenever I see it. And I'm wondering if I'm misremembering something from old British comedy or, or whatever, but yeah. I might not be.
1: We're going a bit Inception now, again. We're going a bit art imitating life, imitating art, because there was a Karen on this morning being a Karen.
7: Oh, there were three Karens. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You've started a petition to stop uh, Karen being used in such a derogatory way. What happened? What was behind the the fall of your lovely name?
10: Well, it all started off a couple of months ago, and um, I just noticed a few sort of memes and TikToks going on, and, you know, it started off being quite funny, if I'm honest. And then it took a... When the Black Lives Matter protests started, and there was a lot of... um, Media with um, putting Karen as racist, um, it sort of took a light on a life of its own. Um, and I feel that we can't, as Karens, now talk about how this is affecting us because we are told that we are entitled if we do this. We, as Karen. So I set up the thechange.org to, you know, just to show that actually, you know, this is not fair for us to have to put up with this. You know, we're, we're labelled as, you know, racist, to to entitled. Imagine anti-maskers, and we're just not that sort of person. It's just totally unfair, and we want the media and the tabloids and the papers to stop using our name to describe racist people. I think you should describe racist people as racist.
5: You get the idea. (laughs) It's a bit entitled, really.
1: (laughs)
7: Yeah. Change the name. Get with the times.
1: Yeah. I thought it was interesting how she said, we as Karens.
7: (laughs) We, as we Karens. As Karens. Like
1: like Karen is an ethnic group or something, or <laughs> the a, li- a religious group, Boy, or... we we as Karen's are sick sick of this. That's Accu-tesse. really interesting that. The, how you you're probably...
5: ne- I was just gonna say she's probably created an online community of Karen's.
7: Yeah, yeah. Right, so. She's got the, the wherewithal to start a change.org petition over something random like that. Uh, then she's probably got lots of spare time in her hands.
5: Yeah, and, she know, she's got on this morning and spoke to Eamon Holmes, so, you know,
1: just wanted to tick off the bucket list.
7: Yeah, life's ambition achieved for Karen.
1: I I signed a a change.org petition today.
7: Wasn't that one, was it? No. (laughs) What was it about?
1: Uh, Forced vaccinations.
7: All right. You pro or anti?
1: Anti, <laughs> anti forced vaccination. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's. It, there's no really real argument to have. Vaccines carry side effects, and even though they could be mild, and it could be low chances, you can't force someone to suffer from side effects from medical procedure.
7: No, I don't. I don't think you should be able to force anyone to to have any sort of medical procedure. That's <laughs> a slippery slope. So yeah. In, the, um, in that respect, I'm I'm with
1: you. The conspiracy theorists are worried that that is coming. You see, and we know how right they are on most things. <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I had man. something weird happen to me today. Uh, no, no, a couple of days ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I um, I was on Instagram. They have this thing called IGTV. Yeah, I've heard, yeah it's like a separate thing where you upload a video. So I thought I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give it a go. So I we don't really have any videos. So I, the last one I found was the um, trailer we did with scent of a woman. Scent? How'd you say that? Sorry again. Scent of a woman. Yeah,
5: Glanced properly.
1: Scent of a woman.
5: <laughs> mm, you need to warm
1: up, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just posted it and. On the IGTV and forgot about it. And mm-hmm. then uh, the next day, I was a bit bored. Uh, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll log on to YouTube and see how many videos Ben's uploaded in the last oh, few weeks. Oh,
5: God, sorry. How many he's not uploaded
7: you me? Look, <laughs> no, I'm having some serious problems with, uh, <laughs> with being asked to do things. <laughs> no, no, I will do it. I promise. Honestly. <sighs>
1: Right, so I logged on to our YouTube channel, and you know there's a section that says recommended videos? Yeah, I think so. Down in the right hand side, from Universal Pictures, Scent of a Woman, courtroom (laughs) scene. Oh. They all talk to each other, don't they? Cross platform. What I don't know is, when I posted the video to Instagram, I hashtagged it Scent of a Woman. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's either that or the machine is listening to me <laughs> what yeah I don't know which the or hashtag the seems to. the hashtag seems to me more likely mm. or you know I was probably walking once I listened to it when I uploaded it I was probably walking around the house doing Al Pacino for the rest of the afternoon and mm. your phone was listening yeah I don't know which it'll be Google was listening I'm a blind man It's just too, it's too deep. Too many
10: beers.
1: (laughs) What was the thing in the courtroom? I can't remember what the courtroom scene was called. Oh, I don't know. Never watched it. Oh, this court is out of order. This whole courtroom's out of order. (laughs) Yeah, he had he had a a southern accent as well in that film. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) it's half past ten. And no. We didn't even cover everything, so I'm gonna to have to do
0: less wow, producing next wild.
1: week.
5: Um but do you know to do your last videos or is it are we getting edging towards a no. two and a half hour podcast? No,
1: it's it's I don't wanna keep everyone up too late. It's already late.
8: I'm
1: not bothered. I'm not gonna you know, work tomorrow. You know, work tomorrow? Eh? No. How come?
5: This is our jobs now, you. Phil. Yeah, this is... We
7: donations coming
5: in. Yeah, you said it was monetized now, so I've just <laughs> quit.
1: Toss a coin to your witcher, oh, really, plenty. <laughs> yeah. So... I don't know. How, cool.
5: far down, how far down your list are we? Uh,
1: I don't know. Uh, that's the last page. I can't remember now what I skipped. Oh, it was one of the uh, American frontline doctors, wasn't it? Back in the COVID days. <laughs> days of COVID. <laughs> yeah. Fucking what on earth are the history books going to make of this? Uh, it might just be
5: a little bit of a footnote, like the Spanish flu. I mean, not, you don't really talk about that, do you?
7: Don't what? Do you know
5: what I think? It's massive. What do you mean, like, you know, with Trump and... Things get a bit weird and
1: partisan yeah. and extreme. I think Again. we're, we're at, this is a seminal moment of history we're living through here. This will be talked about for hundreds and hundreds of years. I think.
7: Just how shit it
1: is. It's crazy, man. Being to, being told to stay at home. Yeah, I don't think that happened in the Cold War. <laughs>
7: No,
1: no you're yeah. just told to go under your table, weren't you? I think the fear the sort of i think one thing we never experienced was that really because we were a bit too young was the sort of immediacy of doom that was around <laughs> the corner at any point
5: um I do remember watching that. I vaguely remember watching one of those nuclear um holocaust yeah? videos I don't know if it's if I'd watched it as a clip on television or I had what we were brought in, it was brought into primary school and we were made to watch it. But I definitely have a memory of that happening sometime in my childhood. And when, I thinking, the oh my God.
7: when the wind blows. Was that?
5: When I was don't know. And like, you know, going to having to, just having to, I'm sure in the video it says something about going into a, a door frame mm-hmm. or under a table or under the stairs or in a cellar. If you hear the siren basically
1: duck and cover pardon duck and cover yeah all that kind of thing remember that I I heard a story this week about someone who was around in the missile crisis and he remembers going to bed his dad kissing him and saying night son we might not wake up tomorrow
7: (laughs) whoa sleep well (laughs) (laughs) sweet dreams (laughs)
1: Whoa. maybe maybe you didn't use those words
0: <laughs> i don't know
1: now you throw doubts at me i feel like i've said it wrong now <laughs> I don't know.
7: Just, just
1: oh. else, yeah.
5: imagine imagine if he'd like smothered his own child oh, thinking God. he'd rather do that than him be oh, God, like to death. Film, the fog is it the
7: fog it was like a it's james herbert adaptation it wasn't wasn't a fantastic film. It's like a modern, modern version of it. But basically, this fog, and then there was some unseen agent in there killing people. And right at the very end of the film, there's this family in the car, and they're they coming, they're trying to escape the fog. And then they can hear all this ruckus behind them. The car breaks down, and they're like, "Oh shit, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming." And The, the dad's got like two bullets in his gun. And it's like that—that that was for the purpose of for the fog. <laughs> Well, that's it. He, and he killed his daughter and his wife and then got out of the car and was ready for the for the immediate death. And it was just the army. They, they'd, like, come through and, like, killed, got rid of the thing and then the fog lifted and he killed his family. And that was, like, what? No. <laughs> At well, the is... end of the film, that's one of the, the harshest endings for a film I've, I've ever seen.
5: That's like when my friend ruined Sixth Sense for me. Thanks, Ben.
7: Oh, sorry, mate. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Not in it, yeah.
5: <laughs> the fog or sixth sense. But I don't think there's any
1: point in seeing it, is there? If you know what the ending is, no, no, not anymore. No. My uh, my missus went to shop yesterday. Oh, did she come back with a foam finger, cowboy hat, and uh, <laughs> just she some sparklers? She came <laughs> home and said, There was someone not wearing a mask. Oh, no, and I said, Uh, Maybe, uh, maybe he had an exemption. Mm-hmm. He looked pretty f- healthy to me.
7: <laughs> oh, that's how oh. it
1: starts. <laughs> So, all right, did you ring the police? <laughs> <laughs> you fucking... What Stitch. on earth? This, Yeah, this is what they need. It's 1984. It's Hitler Youth. <laughs> We've heard it all before. They need people to dob each other in, don't they? Well, this is
5: what it's going to happen. This is what I was going to say. So like when all the kids go back to school mm. and he's going to start saying to the kids, now you've got to remember if your mummy and daddy takes you to the shop and they don't wear a mask, you've got to let us know. Yeah, it's it's part well, of the... Stop. I need to stop myself now because you're just drawing me into your conspiracies. You know? It's not I conspiracy. I almost fell for
1: it. it. It's... I almost <laughs> fell for it. It's fucking, it's fucking history, not conspiracy. This is how it starts. I've got a good clip, actually, about the mass cowards.
12: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my apologies. I was wearing my mask because I just got back from a full day of being a good person. I love my mask because it's a simple yet effective way to display my righteousness. Am I concerned that two children in China drop dead because they were forced to wear masks in gym class? Nope. Am I concerned that we're creating a generation of children who will be socially awkward and conditioned to fear their fellow man? No. Am I concerned that I'm contributing to an impending socialist technocracy that will enslave the global population? Not even a little bit. Am I concerned that my mask is symbolic of my compliance to the social conditioning that will eventually lead to the forced vaccination of every man, woman, and child on planet Earth? Not a chance. And why am I not concerned, you ask? I'm not concerned because I decided a long time ago that shallow and significant gestures are a much easier way to showcase my morality than actually being moral. Because in order to be a real good person, I gotta stand up to a real bad person. And I don't like standing up to or for anything. I've decided that it's much easier to trick my own mind into thinking compliance is a virtue instead of what compliance actually is. Cowardice. I prefer to float through life completely ignorant to the fact that every socialist takeover has always begun in the exact same way. With government overreach, public shaming, censorship, and a toilet paper shortage. Don't believe me? Google toilet paper shortage in communist Russia. Did you think you were having a unique experience? I prefer to pretend history never repeats itself so that I can stand by and turn a blind eye every time history repeats itself. I prefer to call anyone who speaks up, fights back, or stands their ground a lunatic or a conspiracy theorist so that I don't feel obligated to do my own research. Research takes away from me time. And lastly, I prefer to put on my mask and stand among a sea of masks so that I never have to be seen, be free, or reveal the deep dark shadows that lurk within me.
7: Wow, I I hope there's an animated video that goes with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What were the three things you said? about? I cannot even begin to remember. No, there's (laughs) There's so much global overage.
1: Global overreach, public shaming, and censorship. Uh, toilet paper shortage.
7: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. communist Russia.
1: Yeah, that's how it starts.
7: <laughs> wow. Oh, well.
1: Right.
7: Should we go? I, th- I think we have to. <laughs> I think that's
1: it. I think we've exhausted ourselves.
7: That's, that's, that's the end.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't. Know. I, I forgot to look who we've got next week. Is it? Is it the it's odd man? Odd man. I think it's yeah. the odd one out. Of man now. Ace. Odd man out next week.
7: I'll be. See I'll you
0: later. What, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck?
8: Line <laughs> dog face pony soldier. And corn pop was a bad dude. <laughs>
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are. Yeah. So amazing and their love. Of-